When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the first episode of the Future Projection Podcast, a new Baseball America podcast featuring myself, Carlos Colazzo, and the esteemed Ben Badler. Ben, how's it going, man? I'm doing great, Carlos. Oh, kind of great. I mean, it's uh, I definitely miss <laughs> being at the being at the ballpark, but uh, a lot of a lot of scout calls lately, so it's always good to be talking baseball. Yeah, this past weekend, I basically sat down and watched college baseball the entire week. So I don't have too many complaints. I think I'm I'm right there with you. Being at the ballpark is always kind of the best case scenario. Uh, but in some ways, it was it was kind of a silver lining. I got to really watch a lot more maybe top of the first round players than I otherwise would if I was kind of at the ballpark in person. Uh, so you win some and you lose some. But I'm really excited about this podcast, and I mean, you have been talking about it for a while now. Um, it's something that we've really been excited to to start doing. Really, I guess I'll just throw it to you. How do you kind of envision this podcast moving forward? What were your thoughts on starting it, and and just what I guess what do you uh, what should listeners expect from us moving forward with this thing? Yeah, I think uh, you know we've just all been at home for so, so long I know you know but was out on the road a little bit more over the summer seeing players and things like that but um you know we just like just like talking baseball I mean I've been you know I, I know you've probably been too on the just been on the phone for for a while with scouts and and just talking baseball and um it's one of my you know favorite things to to do is just talking to to guys about scouting whether it's you know breaking down specific players or or just going over you know just talking like philosophy and and scouting theory whether it's like bigger picture stuff or some of the more you know narrow nuanced uh like finer points of the game or, or finer finer points of scouting player development things like that so you know, we have all these conversations all the time. So it's just like, why don't we just hit record <laughs> and uh, kind of open this up to, to everybody? Yeah, no doubt. I, I feel like people ask me pretty regularly what my favorite part about the job is. And when you when you tell someone that you watch baseball for a living or you write about baseball for a living, it it opens up some some pretty familiar questions and repeated questions. And one of them is just, what's your favorite part about your job? And And for me, I feel like the answer is always just, talking with scouts about baseball it's it's always such an informa informative process for me I learned so much talking with these guys who have been in the game for years I mean many of these guys have been in the game and doing this longer than I've been alive 
Uh, ben, I know you've been around at Baseball American. You've been doing this a lot longer than I have. But yeah, I think these conversations are, uh, they just give me energy for the game. I, I've always loved baseball, but kind of going in depth, like you're talking about with scouts, the people who are kind of on the ground watching these players who are going to become the future stars of baseball um, is fascinating. But Ben, I'm assuming most people who are listening to this episode right off the bat are probably familiar with you and maybe they're familiar with me as well. But um, since it is the first episode of this podcast, I, I feel like we could probably give a little bit of background of what we do at Baseball America, what you're focusing on most of the time. So kind of how would you break down your role at BA? How did you get into BA in the first place? I know we've we've talked about this online previously, but just give us a little bit of your background. Yeah, I started at BA as an intern in 2007, which is like a, like a dynamite alumni <laughs> program right now. We've got like whole bunch of people whether you know whether they started as interns or, or been full-time at BA have gone on to jobs and you know whether it's other other media companies or or working for clubs and other other areas of the game all the way up to the you know a couple different uh, assistant GMs so that was back in in 2007 and and started full-time uh, I was in too, middle school then yeah. Awesome. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for saying that. That feels great. Sorry. No, it's like, it's, well, yeah, it's, so it was like a few years ago. I like, I, you know, I, you know, I got kind of like go over how I got started and then I was like, Oh man, like I started to be here like quite a, yeah. quite a while. And I, it's a little uncomfortable saying how long, <laughs> how loud, but uh, hopefully it, hopefully it, you know, grows. I mean, it's a reason I've, I've stayed here so long. It's just an awesome place to, to work and like learn about, they get like it's like we we're talking about, it's like being in like baseball school all the mm -hmm. time just being able to you know not just go to games but like you know have an excuse to like pick up the phone and talk to anybody and just you know whether it's talking specific players or like I was saying just you know learning more about the game through these kind of just organic conversations that mm -hmm. we have with scouts which like I don't know if you agree but like I feel like they've been especially like over this past year they've just like any call I have with a scout like goes longer than yeah because everybody's just been like you know at home so much and like wants somebody to talk to yeah in, is, in some ways last year covering the draft it was it was almost beneficial for me that there were no games going on because all these scouts had so much more time on their hands than they typically do so all of the scout calls that I had were much longer no one was kind of needing to get out of the phone call and go get some work done. They were just kind of sitting around. They're all just doing video scouting. So all of my conversations last year in preparation for the draft were significantly longer, obviously kind of lacking the games that the players had that made things difficult, of course, but in, 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 as far as the conversations themselves, yeah, it was, it, it's a weird, I guess, fact of this COVID life that we've actually been able to have more conversations about baseball in some ways in that regard, but. Yeah, no, 100%, especially with, like, the international scouts that I, you know, whether it's, like, me traveling, like, I'm trying to, you know, wh whether I'm on the road in the DR or, mm -hmm. uh, or Colombia or, or wherever, or, you know, trying to call somebody in Venezuela and they're, you know, they're at an airport or they're at a field all day. It's, and it's, you know, it's a pretty exhausting work for, mm -hmm. you know, the the travel that these guys do. But, but yeah, so I've, you know, started uh yeah so started covering prospects back in 2007 for us so done a done a little bit of everything and and really the the focus for me is both on the you know 
minor league prospect side and, and the international prospect side too. I think probably the international stuff sticks out. There's just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, obviously a lot of different people who write about minor league prospects, but not, uh, not really much of anyone else who, who does it uh, on the international side. And it didn't really, uh, you know, it, it's something that's definitely grown the most since. Uh, yeah. I, I kind of wanted to, to pick your brain on how you started doing that. Cause I could be overstating this. I don't think that I am, but you, you pretty much created the international prospect coverage as it is today, right? I mean, one day you were just at BA and you're like, hey, these, these players are getting signed. We don't really know anything about them. Like, why isn't anyone covering them? And then you just did it, right? That's yeah, I mean, it was kind like... of how it evolved in my mind. You can clear it up for the uh, historical accuracy here. Yeah, I mean, like, I wasn't, like, the first person to, like, ever write about, like, a, a player signing <laughs> out of the DR or something like that. Uh, you know, I don't want to present it like that. But, you know, I, I, you know, at that time, it was, uh, you know, like, like we, we would, like, at BA, like, we would have, like, uh, you know, like, a real quick preview of, like, you know, like, right before July 2nd on, like, a couple names that, you know, somebody might have heard about. Uh, or, you know, m- more, more often it was like, Hey, this guy, like Jesus Montero signed, like, who's that? Like, let's, you know, get a report on him. And like, you know, especially at that time, like, you know, there was no like expansive international coverage or anything like that. But like, you know, I got hired and, you know, my, my job description was pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty nebulous at, at, at the time. So um, you know, I was doing, you know, pro coverage, you know, covering minor league prospects and, and kind of pitching in wherever. And, you know, I was like, like nobody like said like, all right, Ben, we want you to like cover like the international signing period. Like that, like that wasn't a thing that like really mm-hmm. existed. It was just something yeah. where I was like, you know, like at that time, I think it was like 25% maybe of our prospect handbook and maybe like 20% or so of the big leagues was, you know, international players. And I was like, you know, we cover the draft, like total maniacs. <laughs> Why don't we do, you know, I just like wanted to know more about, yeah. you know, the international signing process. There wasn't a lot of like uh, much of any information on it at the time. So I just kind of started doing it uh, in 2008. And it's just kind of like grown and grown and like, give a lot of credit to like John Manuel and Will Lingo um, who, who hired me and just gave me a lot of freedom to do that. I think that's, you know, <laughs> probably just good leadership in general is just hire, you know, smart people and let them do, you know, let them do their thing. Although that, mm-hmm. I don't know, smart people, I don't know that has to do anything with me, but like, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, you're claiming just, to be smart now too, Ben, what the heck? Uh, it's, uh, it, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's crazy to like think back. Cause like, I think like the international market right now is like so different than it was like five years ago. And like things change in like just so fast mm-hmm. in, in Latin America. But like at that time, like there was no like Dominican prospect league, or JDB baseball or like, 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 like there, there was, it was just so disorganized as, as far as like the players, like there weren't like these trainers bringing their players together in games. Like there were a lot of teams that just like weren't spending money or, or really investing much mm-hmm. of any like scouting resources 
in into signing and, and scouting players in the DR and in Venezuela. And like, you know, I'd be like talking to like a like an international director about like a player they had just signed, It'd be like 2009. And like, you know, talking about them and they'd be talking about how they, you know, would scout them and, you know, be, you know, see them in like a workout setting, like have them run the 60 BP infield mm-hmm. or, you know, throw from the outfield, maybe see some like live pitching. But like, they'd be like, yeah, like we didn't, we haven't seen them in a lot of games. I'd be like, <laughs> well, you gave this guy like a ton of money. Like, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. like the, the True scouting. scouting and projecting, Ben. Yeah, but like the scouting process now is like, mm-hmm. you know, there obviously players are like committing super young and early now, and that kind of rushes people's decision making. Mm-hmm. But I, I think the the process now is much more thorough. <laughs> yeah, and, and definitely much more organized than it used to be. In some ways, I think people still think of the international market as kind of the Wild West, but back then it sounds like that's when it actually was kind of a wild west in, in baseball sense. Yeah. And even like, you know, I like, even like before, like before I arrived at BA, like, you know, I'm sure. And like, like hearing stories from guys who were like, you know, down there in like, like the earlier two thousands and like the 1990s where that was just like, that was probably like the true wild, yeah. wild, wild west type of days. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I was like, I really love covering the, the international side and I, I you know I love doing the the pro stuff too on on the minor league prospect mm-hmm. side back in the way back in the days when we used to be able to you know go to a game and go to a series and try to Man, like I can't imagine yeah. what that is like it's so long ago now that you don't yeah even remember it's fun to tell these old old stories <laughs> of uh way these back. Old war stories yeah when I had my uh my black bear no it was like <laughs> yeah just like sitting on like you know a series and like double a and trying to like figure a guy out like that like you know i don't like pro scout like well the overall like pro scouting landscape itself i think has obviously like changed a lot in terms of like how teams use their resources but like Mm -hmm. you know for the most part like a double a game is still a double a game guys throw a lot harder (laughs) than they did when uh uh you know when i started doing this in you know 07 08 but like you know it's it's still it's still a lot of fun to just go in and try to sit on a series and try to try to figure those, those guys out once they're, you know, closer to the big leagues like that, or, or even just down at the, uh, you know, the lower levels of the the complexes and, and the backfields trying to just trying to figure out those guys before mm-hmm. they uh, break out, which is obviously a huge part of the, the international side too. Yeah. I, I think that's what, I'm really most excited about this podcast for because you talked about covering guys who are really close to the majors and guys who are much further away. I mean, between the two of us, we really have uh, at least the breadth of coverage that we do at Baseball America covered. You're you're on the international guys. I'm focused on a lot of the high school and college guys. You obviously do a lot with the pro prospects. This past year, I've been more involved with the pro prospects as well, and that's been fun. So just having the the ability to talk about baseball from – really the lowest levels to the major league game. And I do think that we'd love to talk about the major league game on this podcast as well. It's not like we're going to avoid talking about um, the big leagues here. I think that's obviously most people are, are really excited about the big leagues and we're not going to shy away from that uh, on this podcast. But really I think that's what I'm looking forward to most just having this podcast with you being able to kind of go from the bottom to the top and really talk about baseball and in breadth and in depth. That's going to be fun for me. But 
um yeah, yeah i think it's it's important to like stay calibrated too right because mm-hmm. like if you you know if you're only seeing like like if you're like an area scout in the states and like you're only seeing guys you know amateur players like mm-hmm. high school college players like you can lose like calibration for like you know what a, and you're not seeing like a lot of like double a triple a guys like can like lose calibration for like oh yeah like that's what they're supposed to look like yeah that's like what the you know the tool should be or or the skill level should be that you know that we're looking for for guys that get to get to this level like it definitely happened like like a i was gonna say a few years ago probably a little Mm -hmm. more than a few years ago but like there was this like huge rush of like cuban players who were leaving cuba after like jose abreu and, and a few other guys um you know start to like really get get paid including some like pretty marginal guys get paid <laughs> i think that piqued some you know people's interest in cuba as far as like oh we maybe we could get that kind of you know money if uh, uh if we left or if some of these guys came out so um all of a sudden like like a lot of these international scouts were trying to keep track of like oh, like hundreds of cuban players who were in the you know the dominican republic or mexico or know some other places in in latin america and it's like you know they spent so much time trying to project kids who are like you know 15 15 16 years old now it's even younger than that but like you know 15 16 years old like you go from seeing those guys to seeing like you know like a 24 year old cuban guy and like you're like oh man like this guy looks like a monster and like like just like a lot of the scouts i would talk to be like i have to like you know, like step back and like kind of like recalibrate and be like, wait, yep. no, like I, we got to bring in like our pro scouts almost to like <laughs> do this coverage. Guys who are used to seeing these guys who are, you know, just so much more advanced. It's always fascinating to me when, when you'll have draft guys who you've been talking with amateur scouts for uh, a long time about kind of their tools and their projection. And then they get over to the pro side and you start getting feedback from the pro guys. And a lot of the time, it's almost like you're talking about a different player, just kind of how people will talk about them, just the people who are surrounded by pro players on a regular basis compared to the guys who are focused on amateur players so much. So I think that kind of calibration comments is a really good one. I remember yeah, it goes, it can be good and bad too. Like we all like, mm-hmm. I, I, I always like, yeah, enjoy hearing those reports. And sometimes it's hard to like contextualize it too. Right. Cause it's like, like especially like the college guys, right. Like they're playing, you know, their season starts, you know, usually well, like January or February, they're playing like they're playing all year and then they sign and then they would go to like, you know, again, like I'm dating myself here, but like, you know, the New York Penn League <laughs> or the Northwest League, these leagues that used to used to exist way back then. So like, you know, some of them, sometimes they may just be like run down after like a pretty long year. So you got to keep yep. that into consideration. But yeah, like sometimes you get like reports from pro scouts that'd be like, it's like they're like this is the first time I'm seeing you know you know X Y or Z guy and like how did this guy go in like the first round or how did this guy go yeah. so high like not seen it at all or then you have it like the other way around like I remember like like I've done our Gulf Coast League list for for a while now and like Bo Bichette he had like he was only in the Gulf Coast League for like ten minutes or like very few at bats mm-hmm. like his numbers were like crazy yeah. in the GCL like he just like demolished that league and like it was some like weird thing with like i don't remember exactly something with like his appendix or or he had some like issue uh just like some medical issue that like held him out 
of action toward like the end of the season. So he didn't have a ton of at bats, but like he just annihilated that league. And like the people around there were like, like that's why I was so high on Bo Bichette early on, because like, like our our like early pro reports on him were just like so good. Uh, like it was tough because it was such a small sample mm. for him, but like, you know, we definitely have guys who can change their stock based on like you know how they do in that initial look and probe again it's like you know gotta keep it like contextualized but i've definitely seen on on both ends of like mm-hmm. the really good like a boba shed or you know like we obviously thought highly of like cj abrams going into the draft. yeah he like, was the guy that i was just thinking of when you were talking about Bo killing it i mean cj abrams hit over like 400 i mean the difference in kind of the pro evaluation and the amateur evaluation there it didn't it didn't change a ton but people were just much more excited about his offensive chops after what he went out and did in rookie league. So, yeah, I think it's real. Like some people say like, Oh, like, you know, how can, you know, like should an evaluation really like change that much from like where it was before the Mm -hmm. draft versus like saying like September after like the GCL or the Arizona league and like, yeah, like, like the raw tools themselves. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, like you're great on like, you know, like our great on CJ Abrams speed is not really any, different like you know Mm -hmm. arm strength raw power like that's probably not going to be any different than it was before the draft but like yeah like you go from evaluating like high school pitchers or excuse me like yeah like any high school player Mm -hmm. going against like other high school players especially like you know the high school competition that they're facing for the spring leading up to the draft and it sounds like that'll probably change a little bit this year with what MLB is doing with the combine and all that but like yeah like it's a pretty big difference going from that to seeing them facing pro mm-hmm. guys, you know, facing, you know, other, you know, American guys, guys from Latin America who are throwing, you know, you know, 94, 95, like, or just consistently 90 plus swinging wood bats. Uh, yeah. Like, I think it, I think it can really, in some case, like you don't want to go too overboard, but you also don't want to get too rigid and, and stuck in, in what your amateur report was particularly on like something like, you know, the pure hitting ability or, you know, sometimes even just like defense, like, you know, speed of the game type uh, stuff. But, but I think, yeah, I I think it absolutely can uh, is, is meaningful in, in, in some cases for guys. I think finding that balance between overreacting to small sample sizes and taking in new information and applying it to your scouting report and your projection for players is so tricky. I think it's, it's one of the things that I've probably struggled with a little bit as I kind of, I've gotten used to this is because I spent so much time on these draft guys for, for a full year for most of them. And now that we're bearing down more on underclass guys, it's going to be multiple years of history with these players that it is a challenge for me, I would say to have kind of an opinion that you have on a player that's been formed over the past year. Uh, And then they go into pro ball and not wanting to just react, basically not wanting to overreact to a small sample size in pro ball and basically throwing all that stuff that you previously had kind of trying to find that balance of how to apply the new information and and how much time you give it before you really start to change your opinion on a player. I do think is is pretty challenging for me. And it's something that I'm always trying to look out for and make sure I'm not ignoring something like you're saying, because it, because it is very different for players in high school versus once they get into the pro system. So I think that's a good call. 
Yeah, I think it's and first impressions too, right? Like, yep. you know, whether it's for us or like just, you know, just a scout watching guy, like that can be really strong and like tough to shake, like good or or bad. Like I definitely think in Latin America, people can make mistakes, especially mm-hmm. like right now, you know, trying to make like too fast of a, a decision. Like you see a guy like, and he looks like great, like is, is your first impression. Like it's kind of hard to, mm-hmm. to shake that. But like, yeah, I, I think – that's just, definitely a, a tricky balance for me. Like just trying to be, it's, it's still like, it's, it's like, it's, I think it's hard for everybody. Uh, like for me, it's oh, trying to be like as egoless as possible about it helps. Like, like, I, like, like I try not to think about like players like, Oh, like that's like my guy or yeah. like, <laughs> like, 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 it's hard. Like, you know, like there's players are like, man, like I really like that guy. And it's like, I'm like, you know, early on that guy and, mm-hmm. and, you know, talking him up and like really, but like try not to try not to like attach myself to, to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially like, especially for like the international players too. Cause like, and I'm sure it's the same for the high school players. Like when they're, especially when they're like underclassmen, right. Cause they're, you know, 16, 17 years old. And it's, you know, the same with like the international players where like, like a lot can change for these guys. I mean, make, uh, you know, especially the international players where I'm making calls and it's like, you know, on you know guys who just signed and it's like yeah like you know like when this kid was like you know 14 or 15 he was like five foot nine and now he's like six feet tall like he's just like a different guy so like but like you know even even after they sign like like i hear it all the time from clubs where it's like you know again like back in the day when players used to sign like on july 2nd right like (laughs) Mm -hmm. this actually used to happen they would sign on July 2nd instead of, you know, January 15th. Like mm-hmm. they'd sign. They'd There's something and, about July 2 that just kind of hits you, whereas January 15th is so foreign. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> like I need like a it's, – it's hard to come up. And they like changed the year. So like all these kids who call themselves like and, – and everybody like refers to them like in the industry. Oh, yeah, like the 2020 class. But like they all signed like in 2021 now. And it's like – everybody's talking about the 2021 class, but they're (laughs) probably not going to sign until 22. So it's like MLB did in like the most like annoying possible way to like, like they're just trying to make your life a little bit more difficult, Ben. That's all. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But like, you know, like these guys would sign like July 2nd and then like, you know, go play in like tricky league, which is this like informal league for the July 2nd signings because they can't play DSL yet. Uh, so they'll play like, you know, two to four games a week for like July and August, go right into like Dominican instructional league, which, you know, starts in like September or October and then, you know, runs through, you know, October, November, depending when you start, depending on the club. So you'll see like, and those, and that's also like two to four games a week for, for a lot of clubs. So like mm-hmm. by the end of that, like a lot of clubs will be like, I'll be talking to like a club and they'll be like, you know, like this guy we signed for like, <laughs> you know, with like $150,000, like might be the best guy we signed or like, he's just gone like way, way up. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it, you don't want to get too attached to, you know, even, you know, even internally, if, if you're a club, like to your own previous reports or like, like Fernando Tatis Jr. is probably like an awesome example of this where like, you know, we were getting pretty good reports on him like out of the Arizona league and I was like uh we sure like like <laughs> like because he like he got like a pretty good bonus although like he wasn't over a million dollars he wasn't even the White Sox highest bonus that year but like oh like 
there were a lot of scouts who were just like lukewarm at best on him, but like, mm-hmm. like if you go back, like if you had seen him at that time, like you probably would have said the same. Th- I give the White Sox an enormous amount of credit. Well, I give the White Sox international scouts obviously enormous uh, amount of credit. I think they made uh, obviously <laughs> they made probably that's got to go down as like one of the worst trades of yeah. In hindsight, it's going to look of all time. Really yeah, obviously in, in hindsight. So like <laughs> he's a guy. Like it's again, like you just don't want to get like too married to yeah. you don't want to like completely divorce it but it's almost like like bayesian thinking and so like mm-hmm. you have like your priors but you don't want to get like too too attached especially for young players and then yeah. it's you know it's like we we're talking about like this year like like you're talking about like oh well, like it's well, like how do you like contextualize and like balance that like this was got to be the worst year ever to try to like yeah. figure out how to like manage and like, you don't even have the it. numbers to really help you out to kind of feel comfortable as players. Yeah. We like, we had like, I felt like, like, like we were talking, like we got so much information this year from like the alternate sites and like instructionally, but then like the reality is like, even the teams are like, how do we know how much to like <laughs> account for, you know, what we're seeing of these guys mm-hmm. playing in some like intra squad stuff and like a controlled environment in, you know, in a pandemic, some of these guys like have COVID like, <laughs> and are like coming back from that after like hit them pretty hard in, in some cases. So like, it's, yeah, th- this is by far the craziest uh, I've <laughs> ever had to deal with in terms of trying to like manage and, and balance the information. Yeah, hopefully we can get back to a little bit of normalcy. College baseball going on has me optimistic. MLB spring training is getting started. Uh, So we've got kind of a few normal rhythms that are coming back. Uh, So hopefully we can get back to more normal life. Um, Actually, I want to ask you about the MLB spring training versus college baseball. We probably don't have this issue as much among Baseball America readers and just Baseball America in general. But it's always crazy to me how hyped people get for MLB spring training when you can just go watch college baseball, like actual games with people who are playing for something that actually matters versus getting excited about like guys stretching and playing catch. Like, <laughs> I guess spring training is is awesome in the sense that like big league baseball is on the horizon. It's like a warning sign that it's almost here, but like nothing about spring training itself is exciting to me am i crazy for that i think it i mean it just like depends on like your context and like your perspective like from our perspective right like covering prospects like yeah like the draft to me is way more interesting than spring training even even the prospects at spring training like i try not to put um like much of any stock in spring training looks Mm -hmm. on on guys i think it's like i just think it's where you can make a lot of mistakes where it's but like, what if they show up in the best shape of their life how ooh, about that uh i'll be impressed if guys are like really showing up in the best shape of their life like <laughs> i am not in the best shape of my life right now after this uh qu- quarantine or or whatever we're we're calling it so <laughs> um but yeah like I, I think like you know like guys like pitchers are just kind of like getting ramped up in in a lot of cases like like remember like remember like Otani when he like came over and people were like panicking about like his velocity <laughs> and then it's yeah. like I was like oh, I was like that happens every year there's always going to be someone who really pops off in spring training 
people get really, really excited about what he's going to do different this year. And he's the same player. And there's always someone in the opposite where he's not throwing hard. I think Granky's done this a few years, right? Yeah. Where he just hasn't thrown hard at all. And then the season starts and he's normal as that Granky. Yeah. Or like, I think like hitters too, especially like you're just getting like your timing back, like your feel for like speed of the game. Like we saw like during like the, it's like a, probably a good example too. People can like see it in like during the pandemic, like the start of the season, like, Saw some sloppy baseball. <laughs> like, it, yeah, I think that's even true of college baseball this weekend. Teddy, um, Teddy was writing about kind of the opening weekend and what we saw, things to note. And I think defense in general was pretty sloppy across the board from some teams who are maybe more talented than they've ever been. When you combine a five-round draft and, and less high school players getting signed into pro ball because of that, more players returning to college, expanded rosters, like the defense was pretty sloppy in a lot of series featuring premium teams with premium players. So I think just those guys getting so many fewer game reps and kind of the speed of the game, they're still getting acclimated to it. And it's probably going to be a few weeks before we really see everyone kind of hitting their stride with all of those aspects of the game, kind of reading the ball defensively, getting used to live pitching again, because I mean, you can replicate a B's in scrimmages, but it still isn't the same thing as a real game when everyone's kind of going a hundred percent, no one's busting you up and in, or at least most people probably aren't busting you up and in on your own team. So I think it's definitely noticeable, whatever level of the game you're talking about. Yeah. On top of a lost year for the most Mm -hmm. part of development for a lot of these guys who like didn't have a real college season and didn't have a summer season in, in a lot of cases. So I think that's true. But like, look, like if you're like a fan, especially like, you know, like, look, I'm like up in Boston. So like, spring training is a big deal where like you know it's it's nice to like either to be there in person <laughs> obviously and like go down to florida or or just even like seeing these guys. oh all right like we're actually like looking outside there's like a foot of snow on the ground like all right like it's gonna get warmer here like it's just like a sign that things are things are coming back like things are gonna get better up here so uh maybe not if you're like a red sox fan in uh in this area maybe not the same level of uh optimism but you know just like you know like you're not going to go down and like i mean like i would i guess but like like go down to like vanderbilt <laughs> for you know for like your your spring break or your you know your spring vacation and like mm. see like kumar rocker and like jack lighter well you or, should because like, they were yeah. awesome yeah yeah i mean i wouldn't if you a if any <laughs> if any guys are listening you're gonna do that let me know i think that's awesome but like yeah like you know you want to you know you want to see your team you want to you know, go and, you know, have a beer in the sun and like, just like as a fan experience, it's cool. Like, I love it. But like, as far as like me, like going to like, you know, evaluate players or like scouts themselves going to evaluate players, it's like, all right, like you can go, but just like, I I just think like be very, you know, you know, watch what's going on, but don't like get, don't go, don't get too, bogged down in in what you see like you know i i do think maybe like we can you know with some of the new technology that we have like you know you might be able to pick up on certain things but even again there, like unless like you're like like if you're seeing something from a guy that like you've never seen before Mm -hmm. like okay like that's in like a good way that's that's different but like i'm always a little more uh a little bit more lenient if you're like oh that guy doesn't look quite right yet but like yeah, all right, like it's it's February. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. 
Uh, ben, do you want to talk some players? Uh, I know there are a lot of players that we wanted to hit on. Um, we can either jump into Tatis. We brought him up. He obviously is the big name in Major League Baseball right now. Or we can keep talking some amateur players and go into Elijah Green, who is very quickly becoming one of the more hyped-up underclassmen on the amateur side. So take your pick, man. Which direction are we heading? We're going to touch on both. but I want to talk about Elijah Green because, like – I'm not saying he's Fernando Tatis Jr. Like he's, uh, I'm not saying this, but like, like, you know, like Tatis Jr. is like, like he, he's, he's so many people's favorite player for mm-hmm. good reason. He's just this like electric shortstop, five tools, like, uh, like a super, super personality, like bilingual superstar who can connect with like, everybody like everybody like (laughs) all his teammates love him like (laughs) he's just phenomenal I think like Elijah Green could be again I'm not saying he's Fernando Tatis Jr. it's not like a comparison between the two but I think he's gonna be he he could be like a lot of people's favorite player pretty soon or at least a lot of people's favorite prospect pretty soon because he bring in the gas for Elijah Green yeah um I mean I was talking to a scout who uh just recently who who saw him and was like i mean i don't want to go like he he was being hyperbolic but like mm-hmm. he 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 was pretty excited about yeah, him no for, i, I for think that reason. elijah green would fit very comfortably in the kind of elite group of hitters in this year's class if he were 2021 eligible so oh if he was in this year's draft yeah yeah if he would like i mean he he outshone his teammate James Wood, who is one of the is that a word? Top outshone, outshined? Is it, outshined. Which one is it? Outshone. Uh, it doesn't sure. sound right, but I don't know. I we need Josh Norris on here to correct my grammar. He would. My my English is not tremendous, Carlos. <laughs> so we might have to. Yeah, well, as as professional writers, I don't think it's a real big deal that we don't know the correct grammar. But but either way, Elijah Green was the best player on the field at Prep Baseball Reports. Florida preseason classic, which has quickly become one of the better high school events, one of the better national high school events. It's, it's obviously featuring Florida players, but every single year there are very prominent Florida players who are there and he hit three home runs. Um, he is a monster physically. He seemingly hit everything last summer on the showcase circuit. Scouts are really impressed with his combination of power and kind of advanced hitting ability and he showed that again in this tournament so he's you can see him hit right before James Wood hit who again is probably going to go in the top of the first round this year and he was better than him in this event I mean it's it's only a couple games but I, I think there are some things you could like about him more than James Wood I think they're close enough to where you could convince me either way which player you liked more but no, he is absolutely electric. His dad, Eric, played in the NFL as a tight end for 10 seasons, and you can definitely see that in kind of Elijah's physique. He is extremely strong already, very filled out. Like 6'3", 225, yeah, I think he's right? 6'3", 225, and he just turned 17. So, And he, and he flies, too. Like, Yeah. I think he's probably – going to be a corner outfielder in the long run just because he's so big so early and, and those guys tend to slow down but it wouldn't shock me if he did stay in the middle of the diamond yeah um, you know what like he he kind of reminds me like between like this like 
just like a freakish athlete like mm-hmm. that who who is also just like like super tooled up like as far as like power like elite speed arm strength but like also like really good game performance too mm-hmm. like you said it's not like you know this is just like raw tools and athleticism and like you're hoping it all clicks it's like no like this guy like mm-hmm. killed the ball last summer like yeah. there's a reason he's number one in our 2022 high school rankings so like he i remember seeing Luis robert play yeah in when he was still in cuba when he was 16 i might have seen him even younger than that but i know i saw him when he was at like an 18u tournament when he was 16 and like Dude, that outfield by like so they had him. He was sixteen playing like an eighteen U turn. I think I'm pretty sure he was the youngest player on the Cuban team. Like that mm-hmm. outfield was they had Victor Victor Mesa in center field. They had Yusniel Diaz, uh, who signed with the Dodgers with the Orioles now. They had Jorge Onya, Padres, signed for a bunch of money. Which we'll year was this? Uh, I don't know if you're just trying to make me feel old or not, but no, like, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm actually asking. <laughs> I think uh, it's got what? Man, he was if he was six, it's probably like five, maybe six years ago. They so, came and played and carried, didn't they? I think I remember watching. This was at least a couple they, of the players were still in the outfit on the team. This was a tournament in Mexico. They had they there was like another. I know what you're talking. They, yeah, sometimes they've come through carry like the yeah. like the national team has come through there. This was like the 18U team. Okay, gotcha. so like there was who was the other guy? Oh, Julio Pablo Martinez was on that team. Signed with the Rangers. Dios Bel Arias with the Rangers was a shortstop. Omar Estevez was a second baseman. Signed with the Dodgers. I never really warmed up to to him but uh he he signed to oh ronald bolaños i think was on that team too uh, who'd like just started pitching signed with the padres um but like at that time again like robert was like 16 on this 18u team and he was like a man child like <laughs> but like a like a really good athlete with like pow like i think green has a much better arm than Luis robert but like the same kind of like physicality athleticism power and like performance because like Luis Robert like when he played in his age group he just was like like just destroying people (laughs) like he was he was like there's you know I did have some like swing and miss concerns on him but just like I mean he's I think he's answered (laughs) that pretty well so far Mm -hmm. um and just like like that kind of like elite physicality athleticism uh power game performance and like it's tough, like, evaluating, like, Cuban player speed because, like, you get them, like, home to first. But, like, you know, when they're at an international tournament, it's not like the Cuban Baseball Federation is, like, lining these guys up to have, like, them run the 60 for, like, scouts from major league teams, right? Yeah. Like, that's – you don't you don't get that. Uh, but he, you know, he ran well, especially for his size. But, yeah, like, at that time, I was like, oh, I was like, I don't know, is he, like, a center fielder, like, a corner guy? Especially, you know, he's 16, too, so he's, like, real young. But like, he's, you know, he's obviously stayed, you know, really, really lean and really athletic and probably is even faster now than uh, he was at the times and like an elite center fielder. But like, you know, I don't know if, you know, Green obviously is going to develop that, that exact same way. But like, that's, you know, that's the kind of guy who (laughs) uh, comes to mind for, for me when I, when I saw both those guys. Yeah, how do you compare him to another international guy that's really hyped up 
and who really has a pretty massive question marks in terms of like pro performance and, and Jason Dominguez. Cause he's another yeah. guy who is like, I don't, I don't want to compare them. I know much less about Jason Dominguez than you do, but for me, they're similar in the sense that they're like really toolsy and really exciting. Um, but I'm always like hesitant to speak with like, like lock these guys into what they're going to be when I haven't got as much familiarity with them. Like because Elijah Green is a 2022, I don't want to like say authoritatively that this is kind of who he is. You know, I want to kind of see him a little bit more and let him play a little bit more. And I feel like. With yeah, he's still got to play his junior season, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Dominguez, too, like, the hype for him is unreal. And we really haven't seen much of him at all. So, like, do you have enough feel of these players to kind of compare and contrast those two? Yeah, I, like, normally, I like, it's, t- it's especially tough with, like, Dominguez this year because it's, like, not only, like, not only did they not have a minor league season, so mm-hmm. you don't have any pro games on him yet, but, like, the Yankees – they didn't bring him to their, you know, alternate site. Okay, whatever. First year international player, 17 years old. Like, that's that's fine. You know, the Brewers did it with, like, Hedbert Perez. The A's did it with Robert Poussin. Like, but, okay, those are, like, kind of the exceptions to the rule. But, like, they also didn't have an instructional league. So, like, that also really, <laughs> so like, just sucks. Like, you don't get, like, updated looks there. I think they had, like, their Dominican instructs maybe, but it was, like, a – you know, not a big deal. Even like their Dominican instructs last year after he signed, like they didn't, the Yankees don't play a lot of games at Dominican instructs again, like pre pandemic. Like I, you know, I, I obviously he was like a super high priority guy for me to see, but like I got the Yankees like game schedule for when they were playing games. And it was like, there's only like a two week window where they were playing games. So I made sure to go down for like one of those weeks and, like, one day I went to the Diamondbacks Academy because I knew they were playing the Yankees that day. So I was like, all right, I'll see the Diamondbacks guys. But, like, really, I make sure I get to see, like, a game of Dominguez. And mm-hmm. it just, like, totally was, like, pouring rain, totally got rained out. Oh, well. So the next day I went to the Yankees Academy. And, like, again, it was, like, raining, like, starts to rain, like, right as the game is getting started. Like, the field was all wet. They weren't even sure if they were going to play. And then – it's like the first inning it's starting to like really come down and I'm like, Oh man, like they're going to cancel this game. Like, do I need to like change my flight? Like, cause I already like had like, you know, committed to go to other, you know, teams and see other games mm-hmm. later in the week. So I was like, literally I'm like trying to like game plan. Like, can I go like, can I stay like, like next week too to like come back and see him before like these guys stop playing games. So like, first inning comes up I'm like oh he's gonna like ground out like roll over a ground ball or something I'm gonna have to like leave and that's it and then he just like the weather really puts you in a pessimistic mood there you already condemned him to a ground out (laughs) well like I was just like come on man like this is ridiculous like (laughs) like so like but then like you know he saw the video like smokes the ball not just (laughs) over the fence but like over that like big like 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 chain link fence that they have behind the the wall to make sure the balls don't go into the trees and the ball just like lands there and i was like oh all right we yeah. got it i can <laughs> like, picture this vividly because i remember when you sent this i think we saw it in the slack probably before you sent it out but it was like whoa this is this is awesome yeah it was uh sounds like all right i got my got my money's <laughs> worth here and then you know talking to him afterwards was like pretty cool he's just like a real 
just like a really like 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 I wrote in the story, like he has like outstanding tools, but like he's also just like a really smart baseball mm-hmm. player. Like he's like very thoughtful about just like working or like like understanding counts and uh like just like pretty advanced stuff for for you know someone who at that time yeah. was 16 years old just like breaking down his at bats and his swing and like his you know whole kind of development path so far like you know some clubs worked him out at like catcher like mm-hmm. he's just like a really smart uh kid with like a high baseball IQ mm-hmm. Like if he didn't have tools, be like, oh yeah, it's like or like you know, like a gamer, like high IQ type. But like he is that. It's just like his tools are so exciting. Like that's what you have to talk about exactly. first, right? Yeah. Man, so I can't wait to see him in a minor league season. Yeah. So like that's you know that's like really like you know um, good thing I was there. That's like you know his first I think probably only uh, you know obviously unofficial home run. We just don't <laughs> have a lot of game history with him like you know when he was an amateur like the live pitching performances that you know just talking to a lot of clubs sounded like was really good but um yeah he's like a yeah another like really tooled up player but like very uh, you know i think just a very different type than elijah like elijah green like you said is like 6'3 215 like dominguez is like I mean, he looks like he, he, like my comparison for like him is like Yohan Moncada, but like if somebody took Yohan Moncada and like hammered him into the ground by like, <laughs> I don't know, Moncada's like 6'2", Dominguez, yeah. like you saw the photo I sent you, like, <laughs> like just like me standing next to him, we took a photo after, uh, after the, you know, the interview, the conversation mm-hmm. that we had, and like, I don't know, like I'm, I'm 5'10", which I guess is like six foot in baseball height, but like <laughs> yeah, six one maybe. Yeah, <laughs> but like you know, I'm I'm five ten. He's you know maybe my height, like <laughs> maybe five nine. But like you know, he's uh, he's in good shape. <laughs> like yeah. he's uh, he could take you on the bench. Yeah, uh, these days, yeah, these days he could, <laughs> but uh, not oh, back in my day. Not back in my back day. Back in your prime. Yeah, but um, but yeah, he's just. He's that is it's like that kind of like like a smaller version, like a more mm-hmm. compact version, like that Yohan Moncada type body, but also like athleticism, explosiveness, uh tools, you know, switch hitting ability, like um, you know, you know, a ton of bat speed. It's you know probably plus raw power for being like conservative. Like some of the exit velocities are pretty high end. Like you can say it's not a like you know, just because of his body, you can say there's not a ton of physical projection, but like, what do you, what do you need to project on? Like this guy, yeah. this guy, like the, the way he's, the ball is coming off his bat is already pretty elite. Like he it's has kind of like, yeah. Yeah. Just to jump in. It's kind of like Jared Kelly, the, the Texas right-hander, like he's, he's pretty filled out physically. And I remember, I think it might've been even on staff. We we're just talking about, Oh, he doesn't have a lot of physical projection left. And we we're like, okay, well, He's throwing in the upper 90s. Like, what are you projecting him to, like, improve upon there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't, you don't really need it. But yeah, and then, like, the arm, like, it's a 70 arm. It's, you know, you know, I think where, like, the run tool goes, where, like, you know, he's running, you know, six fours at his best as an amateur. Like, I don't, I don't know what he runs exactly right now. Again, it's just such a weird year. But, like, mm-hmm. you know, that's something where I could see it backing up. But, like, as long as he's a – you know, as long as he can maintain plus speed, I, I think he has really good instincts in in the outfield. It's it's something that seems like he 
he works at again like he's played a lot of games growing up like it's you know very very different case to case for you know for each kid in the Dominican Republic how many games mm-hmm. they played growing up he definitely I think is, has just played a lot of just played a lot of organized uh baseball just a lot of games growing up you can you can really see so like I don't know. It's kind of a wishy-washy answer, I guess, to kind of like say, I, I just don't know exactly yeah. yet. Just, you know, given that, you know, like you said, Green hasn't even played his junior season yet for us to, you know, probably pick him apart too much. I'm sure we will after <laughs> after that point. And, and Dominguez, you know, kind of the same stuff we talked about. But like, yeah, like I, I think he, I you know, I, I don't think there's any question. We, we think he's going to go real high in the 22 draft. And yeah, I, I agree with you. I think he fits high in this, uh, you know, if, if he were in the 21 draft, like I, I would take him over James Wood. just, you know, on the, he's, he's younger. I think there's certainly a better chance he can stay in, in center field at a, mm-hmm. at a premium position. Some like nothing against James Wood, like particularly, but just like, like those super long lever guys, give me, give me some anxiety. Yeah, I, I think that that specifically is fascinating with Wood if we want to pivot into him because yeah. he is a tall guy, but he's a pretty polished defender and he moves almost shockingly well for how big he is. I yes. think most I think most scouts probably are going to project him to a corner position, but after I talked with him, we did, we did a little profile on him last summer, I believe, when he was kind of blowing up. He really is adamant about wanting to prove that he can play center field. I think there are only a couple center fielders in like the last 20 years who are six, five or taller, who were like regular center fielders at the big league level. Dexter Fowler is one of them. So like just looking at his size and the precedent of players that big playing center field regularly at the major league level, it, it it's going to be tough for him. I think just because you're competing against the best center fielders in baseball when you get to that point. So, so any, kind of gap that you have at, at that level it's going to push you to a corner and as he gets bigger and kind of fills out that frame we'll see how he continues to run but I do think like I don't immediately write him off the corner like where Zach Veen last year I think it was pretty easy to say he was going to be a corner outfielder I think guys like Jared Kellenick in the past who've played center like again it's pretty easy to see them moving to a corner outfield spot and not even just from me but just the scouts that you talk to they feel pretty confident that their corner outfield profiles at the next level. But James Wood, like surprisingly to me, because just looking at him and, and kind of seeing his height and weight there, you automatically just, I think we're, we're kind of conditioned to look and see six, five outfielder and think, Oh, he's left or right fielder. But scouts have told me that like he actually is pretty good in center field. So I wouldn't wow. want to write him off from that by any means, but I just think, it's so rare to be that big and play center field. So yeah. Like, well, like Dave Winfield played like a little bit of center fields. Mm-hmm. I'm just like, he was six, six and you know, he was a mutant. Like, yeah, for <laughs> like me, it's kind of like, like Jason Hayward, like he, he can play mm. center field, but he doesn't, or he at least mostly hasn't played center field. Like he's played there in a pinch when his teams have needed him to, and he's a very, very good defensive right fielder, obviously. So I wonder if that's the kind of player that he turns into down the line, like a very good defender in a corner who, if you need, he can move over and play kind of the middle of the outfield. But that is one aspect of James Wood that I'm going to be fascinated to see unfold over the next few years is just kind of how that defensive 
development goes for him and how kind of the speed holds up as he continues to grow. Because like yeah. we were talking about earlier, all these players are, I mean, they're still growing into their bodies. Yeah. Well, except Jason Dominguez, who's... <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Dude, Jason. Jason Dominguez. I, can I show you that? I, I showed you that the somebody... I was on eBay, just like like every now and then I'll like actually perusing eBay. Somebody dating yourself, Ben. I don't think anyone gets on eBay anymore. What? No, <laughs> people use eBay. My what dad you... uses eBay. <laughs> this is like, oh yeah, this is only the boomers like me use eBay. <laughs> but no, no but like anyways. I don't. I like I don't like buy or trade baseball cards or anything. Mm-hmm. But like I am just like curious every now and then. Like what are like the, these some of these cards going for somebody spent february february 13th somebody spent twenty five thousand dollars on a jason dominguez card was it at least signed it has to be signed oh right? yeah signed okay. yeah it says 2020 bowman chrome gold okay. refractor auto man PSA 10 gem mint. I know what a little bit of that means, but like, <laughs> I know what a little bit of that means too, because apparently cards are just blowing up in general now, not even baseball cards, like Pokemon cards, all the rage these days for whatever reason. So it's a good quality card basically is what you're telling me. It's not damaged. It's yeah. I mean, dude, oh, oh correction, $24,999 oh and 99 cents. Although Although they 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 hit you, <laughs> this one this one hits you with a four dollar shipping. Somebody, oh no, that's somebody, too much. Somebody, that's too much. Somebody, Cancel the order. Me. Cancel the order, Ben. Somebody, somebody goes, yeah, twenty five thousand, twenty five grand for this baseball oh card. But like, yeah, you're gonna need to like imagine you need to chip being, it on, on shipping. Imagine being Jason Dominguez and not even having played an official pro baseball game. And it's seeing wild, that your man. card got sold for that much. And, and <laughs> he probably wishes that he had gotten some money for signing it, right? He probably, like, I think he, like, you can, I'm sure he got, like, a good deal. Like, these, like, players can get, like, pretty good deals from, like, these card companies for I mean, they should signing. if their cards are going for 20 grand. Or Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. And, and I'm sure based on, like, you know, what was being, you know, written about him <laughs> before he signed, I'm sure he got a you know, a, a good chunk, but like, yeah, dude, 25 K. What would you spend 25 grand on? Uh, how much? Like, I don't know. <laughs> not I, don't a car. Like, I don't think like a car. Yeah. Like towards maybe, the down I don't even think house, I would spend, maybe that would be pretty yeah, nice. I don't even think I would spend $25,000 on a, on a car. Like that to me is like, I, like, yeah. <laughs> like I would just get something like used and like, yeah, I think on. whoever bought this car is probably living in a different world than, than you and I Ben. That's but. uh. Man. That's probably fair. That's probably <laughs> fair to say. But what does Mike Trout go for if Jason Dominguez goes for that? Do you know? Are, Kyle are you was saying the other day it was like, I don't want to like misquote because it was like some a lot more than twenty five grand. Was it like uh, over a hundred? Over a hundred grand? Yeah, yeah. I think it was like over like ten times. <laughs> like we'll need to get a card expert to come on here and explain to us crazy. the baseball card market. Yeah, like I, I could be wrong. I don't want to like misquote him, but like it was something, in, something pretty wild. Obviously, like a you know a surefire Hall of Famer already. Like it's a little bit of a different scenario. Yeah. But like I guess. Speaking you know, of big money and surefire Hall of Famers, do you want to talk about the uh, 
Tatis deal. And then we okay. talked about I him was a like, bit. which I was like, whoa, whoa, what prospect are we talking about now? Where are we <laughs> I even think it's too soon to talk about Tatis as a surefire Hall of Famer. I'm sure there are people out there who are probably like, no, lock it in. But like, I, I'm I'm very convinced he's going to be exceptionally good. Obviously, but yeah, well, he already is. All, yeah, yeah, yeah. Are you at all worried that the hype has gotten too big, or do you think it is appropriate on Tatis? No, yeah, on I Tatis. think. I mean, I wouldn't call him a surefire. That's what I mean. I mean, Hall well, of Famer. Well, I think that is being thrown around now. No, man. You don't like, think just... I'm? I'm sure people are saying that right now. There's there's just so many cases where just like guys get injured and I know. like it just derails That's why I think it's crazy. career or like they just hit a wall when they're like as somebody who's like in their third not that I have anywhere near the athletic talent of any of these major league players but like I can like once you actually like hit your 30s you like start to feel it and you're like oh like this is why like players like decline so fast. <laughs> like it's just like, it's a little bit harder to do mm-hmm. like things uh, each, each uh, coming year. Uh, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> just, but yeah, like I, there's just, there's too much to that can just go wrong over these next 14 years. <laughs> I mean, that's awesome for, for him to get paid that way. Yeah. I'm sorry for him. And like, I think just like for Padres fans too, it's awesome. Like, I feel like, it I feel is. like San Diego is this like sleeping giant of a. I don't know if they're sleeping town. anymore. I mean, yeah, well, like they were, season, and then it's really like broke out last year. I, I again, last year they were the most fun team in baseball. I feel like this year, I mean, it's the same thing. It, it's fantastic in my mind. Like we talk about all these teams who it's it's very clear they're not trying to win. They're not really investing in players. They're just kind of playing this value game, trying to get all this surplus value and years of control. And San Diego is just like, screw it. We're going to go after the best players. The the players we have now, we're going to sign them. We're going to keep them long-term. Um, I even love how they go about the draft. They're like, we're taking high, high upside, high risk players. We're just going for them. So really everything about what they've done in the last few years has been exciting and it's going to be fun to watch them play. And you're right. I think for San Diego fans, you just have to feel really pumped to know that your franchise player who is still what 21 years old is he 22 yet yeah he's, he's early, 22 early okay. he just turned 22 like the fact that you can feel comfortable that he's going to be on your team for his career is an awesome feeling maybe unless you're cj abrams though <laughs> like, 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 i mean he's you know, working I, with the outfield glove huh yeah, or maybe second base. I mean, yeah. tough. Yeah, like I'm sure they'll keep developing him at at shortstop. But no again, doubt. like no you don't know, like like he could get hurt, or he could just like you know, imagine for like a year he could be out or just miss time, and like you want to make sure you're still developing him. But like for sure, I mean, you know, I think CJ would have no problem going to second base or mm-hmm. center field, and I think he's gonna get there like pretty fast too. Like, I mean, he's a high school guy in in 2019. He's only played like mainly like the Arizona league, but like the reports on him were like pretty outstanding. Like we just keep shoving him up our our (laughs) list. Like, I don't know. Like, I think if it had been like a normal season, he'd probably probably would have started in low a, I think he probably would have finished the year in high, just like based on the reports we got. Um, And then I don't know if he's going to start in double a, I think he'll get there quick. Like, like like Tatis, I'm not again. I'm not saying Abrams is Tatis, but like 
Padres pushed Fernando Tatis Jr. real fast. Uh, when A.J. Preller was with the Rangers, they did that with a lot of their prospects, like Jerickson Profar and uh, Rugnet Odor. And not saying he was, like, you know, making the ultimate call on all of those assignments, but, like, you know, there were some other players they pushed pretty fast too who, you know, may or may not have uh, merited that uh, aggressive timeline. But, like, mm-hmm. I think they're going to push him fast. I think he deserves to be pushed fast. I don't, I don't think he's going to be up this year. It's hard to, like, rule anything out right now. But, like, I think we'll see him at some point in, in 2022. I think he's that, like, just advanced of a, of a player. So, like, yeah, I don't know where he – fits in to their uh, roster puzzle mm-hmm. exactly. But like, yeah, I mean, or, you know, look, or Tatis could, you know, slow down and, you know, end up uh, somewhere else. And I think it'd be hard to move that guy off, <laughs> off the position. When you just get, yeah, him, like, I don't think he's moving any million dollars, but like, yeah, it's uh, obviously a, a good problem to have. And like their farm system is so like, they still have a really good farm system after trading away, like, what itself would be a really good a farm good farm system, system. yeah <laughs> like with all the prospects that they've you know that they've dealt like like Luis Patino like from him to like 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 younger international signings like like Reggie Preciado Ismael Mena like Cole Wilcox they just like some upper level guys too like mm-hmm. like we like Kyle put it out on the on our site of like just like how good of a farm system it would be of like just the guys they've traded and they still have what I think it's like six or so guys in our top 100, our top 100. Like, yeah, like obviously yeah, the top of like, the system is still pretty elite. Yeah. Like including like Kim, who's like, not like quite in that same bucket, but like, yeah, you got like Mackenzie Gore, Abrams, like Robert Hassel, like, yep. like Brian Weathers. They got like, home. They have seven, they have seven current top 100 prospects still after all those yeah. trades. They've kept like the majority of like, yeah, like I love Patino, but like, you know <laughs> to get Blake Snell like they've kept their core guys they've like their core prospects for the most part they've added you know impact talent like yeah like to me yeah like I was saying before like like I feel like San Diego is like a baseball city is this like sleeping yeah. giant where it's like like you didn't have, they have no competition in terms of other like pro totally. sports teams there with the having like no fans in, in the stands too like last year it's just like they gotta be just like can you imagine fernando tati like those moments that tatis had last year with a full stadium full of fans just how much that changes the atmosphere and just the excitement like it was already incredibly incredibly awesome to watch that just yeah in the pandemic season but like when fans can actually be there and fill out like a really beautiful ballpark it's gonna be awesome no i'm yeah. right there with you um yeah did you want to touch on our org rankings at all i know we just got into kind of with with san diego as like a pretty good pivot point um if you guys are curious to hear like an in-depth conversation about the org rankings jj and kyle recorded a podcast where they kind of went through it talked about the process talked about some teams but we released it a few weeks ago so it's not terribly outdated in terms of like going up on the site if you want to dive into anything but just being more involved in the process this year, it was fun to put it together. And I had the great fortune of writing up two top 10 teams. The first time I had multiple teams. So take that, Ben. I don't think you had uh, quite as much luck. No, I had, uh, I do love the Blue Jays farm system though. They are. Yeah, I had uh, the Braves and Twins just to 
make that clear for anyone who is not like stalking me knowing what I write for the prospect handbook. Yeah, no, I think, uh, I do think like the, and the blue Jays are like one of the, they're fun. Like, I, it's, it's a good farm system. Like, and especially after graduating, like, you know, Vladdy and Bo and Guriel and Biggio, like it's, it's just like a, it's just, it's a, it's a, they are strong at the top with guys like, like obviously like Nate Pearson, like yeah. adding Austin Martin. Well, I love shortstops and they have a ton of shortstops. And I like, like I talked about this last year, like Austin Martin, if we're talking about like personal preferences, I'll make it clear that like our draft list is not derived by my opinion on players. It's like industry driven. So the scout feedback and the industry consensus on the talent is how we're going to line up our list. But I love Austin Martin. I think he belongs solidly in the like, Bobby Wood Jr., C.J. Abrams, tier of shortstops. Personally, I just love that bat. I love his athleticism. I think he's going to give you really good defense and really good base running wherever he winds up defensively. I mean, they have so many shortstops in that system. It's kind of hard to see him pushing someone uh, like a Bichette or even like a Jordan Groshans, depending on how everything plays out. But I feel pretty confident that he's going to give you really good defensive value. And I have such high conviction in his hitting ability after what he did in the SEC and just looking at how he swings and kind of how he operates, I love this kid's swing. And yeah, I'm really excited about their farm system as well, but continue, Ben. Yeah, no, it's really, yeah, like just a really short, compact, quick, efficient, very high bat to ball, good eye for the zone. But yeah, the Blue Jays have a lot of like shortstop-ish prospects. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I don't think – like. Again, like it's like you said, it's kind of like circumstantial, right? Like you mm-hmm. get up to the big leagues and Bo Bichette is there, like, all right, like you're gonna play somewhere else. Like, <laughs> yeah, right? like it's just it's just what's gonna happen. Like it, but it's like Wander Franco, like can he play shorts? Well, like maybe, but like Willie Adamas is it? or like Ozzy Albies, like, like I think I think yep. if Ozzy Albies like, like they had Dansby Swanson there at the same time, and like you know they had Dansby, so they put Ozzy Albies at, at second base, so like. You know, sometimes it just shakes out. <laughs> yeah, just just acquire shortstops, and the rest will kind of figure itself out. For yeah, you. but fine. like with the Blue Jays, it's like yeah, like Martin, like like Martin has like this. He has a speed where like he could go to center field, could go to second base, could go to third base. I think maybe the bat would, you know, profile there. Some like throwing issues, but like yeah, the weird I, year last year. I think year. the the throwing issues always get brought up with him. I think they're probably like overstated at this point. It's one of the, like he had throwing issues in a very small sample for right. a very short amount of time. There wasn't much talk of that prior when he had a full season, but in terms of center field, I saw him briefly with the uh, collegiate national team and he was playing center field for them. And his instincts having not played that position very much, like at a full time level was really shocking in a, in a good way. Like, I was extremely impressed with how he was able to cut down, like take angles to the ball and just take really intelligent routes. Uh, His first step was really impressive. So I'm pretty high on him in general. And I think he could be a pretty good center fielder if that's where he ends up playing. But yeah. And he's like the one guy of that like shortstop group that like, if they need to move somebody to like the outfield, like especially like to center field and stay in a premium position, like he's Mm -hmm. the guy because like Groshans doesn't have that, foot speed like he's going you know if, if he moves positions he's not going to the out well if he goes to the outfield he's playing a corner yeah but like he, he, could, he could play third base is what i'm what i mean mm-hmm. and like or elvis martinez like him a lot don't think he's a shortstop long term most likely i think he goes to probably third base like miguel geraldo he's not in that tier but like he'll you know 
they probably probably spend more time this year at like third base, second base. So they have they have a bunch of shortstops, but like we'll see like where where exactly they uh uh they end up. But it's just I think it's a good balance of like those those top end guys, plus you know, like Simeon Woods, Richardson, mm-hmm. like good like you know, Manoa from their, you know, their previous draft and then like, you know, lower down guys like from their you know recent international classes and, and some of their drafts is it's just like a pretty balanced system you could say maybe like one more pitching after like pierce you know pierce is one of the best pitching prospects in the game obviously he'll graduate soon but like you, know, you maybe say you want a little bit more on that end but like i think it's just like a pretty balanced system just all around from you know just around the different positions and 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 just around the the different levels i got a bunch of different like breakout guys that uh that i that i like too like i guess like in a steven machado who they signed out of venezuela mm-hmm. they obviously just added manuel beltre so a couple shortstops uh beltre from the dr just signed him january 15th so um they got a whole bunch of guys where it's just like this is just like one of the more complete farm systems i think in the game to me yeah, no doubt. It, they're kind of doing a, a fun little balance of beefing up the farm system and moving up the farm system rankings and also like really rapidly improving the major league team. I'm really curious to see kind of how the AL East plays out this year with some of the acquisitions they've done on the free agent market. Um, and kind of just the, I don't know if you'd say the AL East is uncertain, but I, I don't feel super confident in any one team. I know a lot of people are putting the Yankees in kind of the pole position now, but we've seen how injuries have really hindered them at times. Um, so no, it'll just be interesting to watch them this year, man. I can't wait until we get like actual pro games going again. It's fun talking about these guys, but it's going to be even more fun to actually watch them. Yeah. And that's uh, <laughs> very antsy <laughs> for some real, uh, real baseball yeah. to me. I don't know about you, but like to me, yeah. Like, like, especially like to like see like real games, like, like I do want like the upper level guys. I feel like we got like all right. Like we got like more information on them. Like we saw mm-hmm. some of them like come up. Like we saw like Nate Pearson come up to the big leagues. Uh, like Patino, we mentioned. Like you know, we we've seen some of these other guys play already. Like at the you know, especially like you know, like you mentioned with some of the Braves guys. We saw Pache and you know Ian Anderson. We saw some of these guys at the big league level, but like. I really want to see some of these guys, especially at like the lower levels yeah. who like, man, like we just need to see some games on them. Like are our like reports still like up to date and like accurate or like, can we well, that's just the like, thing. See, these, see these guys go out on the field and just like do it like mm-hmm. in games. So there's just like, we're like talking about players, but like, like <laughs> go out and do it, please. Like, so yes. we can see it. Yeah. Please let us feel good about like the, the information we have and kind of what we have written down and, if you change, like, obviously we make adjustments from there, but no, I think those younger guys are obviously going to be the most interesting. They probably always are the most interesting. Cause you kind of know for the most part, what you, what you have with some of the guys who are further up yeah. um, in terms of their development. But like a lot of these guys, and we talked about, we probably talked about this before in the podcast, like a lot of these guys are going to show up and be so different physically. Um, and it could be in a good way. It could be in a bad way a lot of players are going to have taken advantage of all this downtime to really get in the weight room, uh, get stronger. Players are going to get faster. So just the, the like difference in how their body type can be when they actually start playing again, compared to what we saw at, I mean, when's the last time we had minor league games, 2019, like 
for some of these guys who haven't even been in, in pro ball. Like we've never seen them in pro ball. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's what I'd say. Like, and like, to me, like the biggest, well, certainly one of the biggest systems for that is the Indians. Mm-hmm. Like they like, just they're the have young, they're our youngest system, right? I think so. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like we saw Tristan McKenzie this year, like, all right, we've got a pretty good feel mm-hmm. for him. Although he, you know, <laughs> you know, he's kind of been, uh, you know, up and, you know, a lot of like risk with him mm-hmm. uh, just, you know, from the durability standpoint, but like, you know, we got a good feel for him and like Andres Jimenez too. Like we saw those guys, but like a real, like they have so many guys at the lower levels, like, you know, yeah. George Valera, Brian Rocchio, they, you know, Espino and Hankins and like Aaron Brach, like Carson, T- like they don't have like, like other than like Tristan McKenzie and, you know, I guess you could put like Nolan Jones up there too, but like, like I don't think like their top top end prospects are like it's not like the Tigers' top end prospects, right? Mm-hmm. Like or some of these other clubs that are ahead of them. Yep. But they just the have Mariners, this like, huge. Yeah, their top end is really good. Yeah, like they just have this huge like deep layer of mm-hmm. guys. Like even going down to like the later end of their like like Angel Martinez, who's like at the back of their top thirty, or like Jose Pastrano, a shortstop, like two shortstops. Like Pastrano is a shortstop they signed out of Venezuela, like their top signing in their. 2019 class like he didn't even make their top 30 and i'm like well no he's got to be in there but like you look at all the other players and it's like well they got a lot of other like really good players in there like trading for josh wolf isaiah green like they have so many like i don't know it's like pick your flavor of like who you who you want as a breakout candidate they just have so many guys you yeah, know, and, and, and they're and kind of, out, but they have a lot of good candidates. Yeah, kind of to sure. your point of like young players and kind of waiting to see what they do. Like the, the fact that the Indians like target and prioritize youth in the draft and are one of the teams that doesn't shy away from high school players at the top of the round at the top of the draft at all. Like it's like them and the Padres and a few other teams who really just do not care about taking high school players and particularly high school pitchers. Like guys like Daniel Spino and Ethan Hankins who were first round talents that they jumped on. Um, some of their, like Carson Tucker is a guy who really transformed his body prior to the draft um, and, and really took steps forward in terms of physicality and foot speed. Like a lot of these guys are really interesting to kind of monitor and see how they perform going forward. Like, and, and like you mentioned, the two guys they acquired in trade, I really like Isaiah green, like his bat might be, like sneaky underrated in that 2020 class. Like he barreled up some of the better pitchers. He barreled up Mick Abel last the Mm. summer prior to the draft. I'm trying to get my timelines right. Like, like better than any of the other hitters that were facing him. So I think he could be a really interesting kind of sneaky pick. Not that like Isaiah green is not some like unheard of prospect. Most of the guys that we're talking about, they really aren't. If you kind of go back to our, like, pre-draft coverage but no i'm right there with you i'm really high on the system and like once these guys start getting a few years under their belt i mean we could be talking a little bit different a little bit differently about how kind of the top end of the system is looking if like three or four players take big steps forward yeah i mean i I think it could be a lot different like it's i mean like like the and like the two guys like you know we have george valera and like brian rocchio in their top 10, I'm just like dying to see these guys. Like Valera's had some injuries, mm-hmm. but like he has one of the prettiest swings in, in the minors. It, I mean, every time I post a video, people are just like, Oh, that's like Robinson Cano. Just like, <laughs> just on like pure, like swing mechanics. Like it's, it's, it's just such a sweet 
sweet swing. I think he's got, I think he's got more feel for hitting even than like he probably, if if you just like look at the numbers of him playing in the uh, uh, the New York Penn League, rest in peace. Like the, <laughs> you know, he had some strikeouts, but he's like you know a teenager playing in a you know a very college heavy league. Like I mm-hmm. really wish you could have seen what he had done, or like Brian Rocchio who was in Venezuela for basically the the whole year don't even like you know hard to get like an updated report on him but like you know these are the kind of guys where it's like once they hit like full season ball like they're not the same they're going to trade these guys like that's when like their trade value and like their value really starts to skyrocket like it's it's hard to (laughs) hard to get a guy um you know pry pry away a guy who's you know already established himself at uh uh that level unless you're getting something real real good in uh return which obviously is how the Padres got Fernando Tatis Jr. before he ever uh played a game it's you know it's amazing now too how like like I was saying like before like like that's like the route like teams should go in in trades to try to like pick off guys like I mean like you know the the Rangers did it even before then when they had the you know, to, I think it was the what the Teixeira trade. Teixeira trade that yeah, had like a like million Neftali prospects. Yeah, like the younger guys trying mm-hmm. to like pick them off before they like get to full season ball and everybody knows about it. And like now, so I think you are not on the team trade away your prospects. Uh, or on the team acquire prospects. <laughs> it just yeah, it depends <laughs> on the it depends on the scenario. But like the right Padres now, have really done both. What's that? I mean, every team does both. Ground Padres teams trade for and trade away prospects. Yeah, just think about the Blake Snell trade and some other yeah. things that they've done. Or like, I mean, like the big one, like back in the day, like you know, like not that far ago, like when the Royals had that like big farm system coming up, mm-hmm. and they traded, uh, you know, for like James Shields, and it was what James Shields and Wade Davis. James Shields trade away like, in all of these trades. Yeah, they trade away like Will Myers and who else? It was like Montgomery uh somebody else who it's killing me it's slipping my mind right now but like at that time actually i was like man i was like i don't like that trade at all like you can't give up like will myers like guy's gonna be like a superstar but like obviously that trade worked out like like yeah like it's it's so easy to say like yeah like just keep all your really good prospects and like trade away the (laughs) not great like yeah but like you know as much as you can like you know like if you have like a top 25 especially like a hitting prospect like it's like a top 25 prospect overall in baseball like the success rate of those guys is like really really good mm-hmm. not because like we're that smart frankly it's just <laughs> like it's so obvious like who those guys are like don't get me like there's guys who will like be lower in the top 100 or like left off the top 100 who will end up being better than some of those guys but like like just historically the track record of those guys it's like it's there's misses too up there but like it's yeah. full of like average above average like all-star like hall of fame type guys as especially as you get like really high up the list but like even still like that said like it's it's all like situational like the red sox traded yohan moncada and like they're like red Sox. oh like we're giving away like our our like superstar prospect like (laughs) dude like you're getting chris sale yeah you won a world series multi-year deal like real cheap like same with the nationals trading with julito worked out pretty well yeah yeah, uh, yeah, you just yeah, make sure you don't give up Juan Soto. <laughs> but uh, yeah, they're like, they, yeah, I don't think he's going to, anywhere. I don't think he's not in a trade. Yeah, and they didn't even have time for people to inquire on him. But that's the thing now is like, you know, like I'll talk to clubs and they're like, it's like 
just going like we'll go over like DSL guys and we'll be like like we yeah, like we asked about like these D, like seven DSL guys from this club in like a trade like or like this other club like a bunch of clubs are asking about this DSL guy in a trade or like guys who like a, there's a guy who signed this year on January 15th who I know has already been asked about in a trade <laughs> and this is like you know <laughs> like that's 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 uh you know you're being real real aggressive at uh at that point so like all these teams are trying to like get like that fernando tatis junior type before they you're like become yeah trade yeah. get him before he plays a game or like jordan alvarez was like the same thing like hey like andrew friedman's obviously been like really successful like definitely regret that one <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like trading him before he you know ever ever suits up so like yeah it's i, I can't wait to see these like the, the super young guys and that's that's like especially now where there's like so much more you know data and game information on on the upper level mm-hmm. minor league players like i think that's where scouting becomes even like the from a pro scouting standpoint that's where your your pro scouts are 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 even more valuable to go go around those backfields and and try to find and and identify some of those guys who might be undervalued yeah you're saying because of the kind of the the analytics and the data that we have on the upper level guys getting the advantage on on the younger players where maybe that data isn't as available yeah exactly or as you know or as actionable as as or has as much predictive value Mm -hmm. right like we We have to project more yeah yeah like we all know like you know you can have a pretty good read on like the top double a triple a guys like it's you know we pretty much know those guys are again like it's always like surprises and we could be high or low on a guy but like if you really like dig in on like those lower level guys who are just like at the complex levels or or what used to be you know (laughs) the short season like Penn league northwest league pioneer league type guys like it's also like it's all again like those are like perfect, like Tatis and Jordan Alvarez are like perfect examples. Like it comes up in a trade, you're trying to win now, like GM, especially like the international guys, like it depends on the GM. Like <laughs> some of them like don't really know much about those, those guys who like they just recently signed. Like mm-hmm. something comes up in a trade and it's like you're a GM and then you're like, well, I don't know if I'm going to be around by the time this yeah. uh, this guy that they're asking for in rookie ball uh, gets to the big leagues. Like my contract doesn't even run through then. Like we need to win now. Like we'll mm-hmm. give that guy up. I do think I do think that attitude is like shifting more because like now guys the teams are like, wait, why why are they asking about that guy? Like mm-hmm. we gotta we should keep that guy. Like I don't want to be the GM or the president that yeah. trades away Jordan Alvarez or trades away. Fernando Tatis Jr. Yeah. Um, you know, when he's still in, in rookie ball or before he even gets to rookie ball. So I think there's a little bit uh of a shift in in attitude there. But but I do think that's where like you you can really make an impact as a as a pro in, in your pro scouting department is is finding and, and identifying those guys where they pop and get to these full season leagues mm-hmm. and their their value just skyrockets. Well, it is good to know that the computers haven't taken over entirely. Uh, that is always encouraging. Uh, kind of talking about some of these, just like trading for value and org talent rankings. Like, do any of the teams in our like top five, I guess, outside of like the Rays and the Braves, who are already pretty successful at the major league level right now, like, 
do any of the Mariners, Blue Jays, Tigers, or maybe there's another team who you're particularly high on going into this next decade in the 2020s? I think we can we can kind of look back at the 2010s and talk about which team is like the team of the decades. For me, I would take the Dodgers. I know a lot of people wouldn't because rings is everything, but I think like their accomplishments throughout the regular season, just dominating their division, consistently being put in a position to have success in the postseason uh, is enough for me. So I would say the Dodgers were the team of the 2010s. I guess really quickly, who's your team of the 2010s? And like yeah. in the 2020s, do you have like a team you feel really good about? I go, uh, I think I would go with the Giants. I'm, oh, I'll go no. count the rings. I mean, do you don't like, Giants. no, you don't, <laughs> you, like, well, I well, you, do, you, do you count 2010 as, uh, as part of the 2010s? Yeah, I think, yeah. I think right. we'd have to. So it'd be 2010 to 2019. Yeah. Like I mean, 20 to, yeah. The three rings, like, obviously like the, like what, like when you're, a GM or a front office trying to like build a club, like you're, you're just trying to be as competitive and, and sustainably yeah. competitive. It sounds cliche, but like, it's true. Like you want to, yes. you want to put yourself in the tournament in position to win, to, to give yourself a chance at that ring, you know, as many years as, as you can. And I would and, argue the Dodgers did that much better than the giants did. There's uh, yeah. I there's think some, the giants, like in terms of overall like success in the regular season, the Dodgers have been, let's see, they finished first since 2013. And I guess we're not counting 2020. So we'll so call no it rings, <laughs> no rings. So I don't get the ring, but I think the point that I would probably make is that while obviously the world series is the goal, like I don't want to take away from like the fact that you are trying to win a world series, obviously, but like, in terms of like the success you can replicate, the regular season just means so much more to me. It's a, it's a 162 game season, so like when a team is consistently dominating over that period of time, I think just for me personally, like I appreciate that more than the Giants who were really good in one of the years they won the World Series and then kind of like were a bit of a surprise the other two years they won. I don't think they would have been the favorites. Maybe I'm like not crediting them as much, but it's just a little fluky, the the playoffs in baseball. And I don't know. I, I just have to go with the Dodgers for me, but I, I'm not going to, I'm sitting here arguing with you now about it, but I don't like, I wouldn't <laughs> fight you over it, I guess, but I'm pretty passionate about the Dodgers being the most successful team in the 2010s. It is like, like it is like, you know, you want to put yourself, yeah. Like you want to put yourself in position mm -hmm. to, you know, get as many rings as possible and, and give yourself those chances as sustainably as you can. So like from a, you know, from, from that standpoint, I, I understand what you're saying. Yeah. At the same time, like if you worked for the Dodgers, like if you worked in the Dodgers front office from like 2010 to 2019, like you would, you would definitely trade it for like what the giants no. give me the pennants yeah. baby no. <laughs> <laughs> oh but man i think uh so yeah like you're team giants i'm team dodgers so just west coast biased here um how about moving forward were you about to pivot there yeah well that's what i was gonna say like yeah i think like the teams it's like it's hard to predict like you know 2016 to 20 yeah 
or sorry, 2026 to like 2000. Well, the Dodgers already have your precious World Series championship in the bag for the first year of this decade. So that's true. So they're off to a head start. Yeah, but, it's hard to uh, bet against them. Yeah, like to me, like it, yeah, I mean, just like yeah, it, obviously a lot of it is like who's positioned to win, like right now, right? Yeah, like the Dodgers, the Padres. Yeah, the <laughs> like, next five years are a lot easier to kind of feel comfortable about than like the latter half of the decade. Yeah, I mean, I, I just I see both of those clubs both into like they have Which two? Like, what was the second one the dodgers and the padres okay yep just you know with the talent that they have right now the the young talent that they have the at the major league level the talent that they have coming up in their farm system in in both organizations mm-hmm. and hey the padres too like look at the money <laughs> these yeah clubs i think are, willingness to spend is key like it's great if you have really good talent acquisition and really good player development, but if you aren't going to like capitalize on your windows with like big free agent additions or locking down your stars, like it's a lot harder to buy in. It's pretty easy to buy into what the Dodgers have done. It's pretty easy to buy into what the Padres are doing. So I'm, I'm right there with you. And the Dodgers too, like they keep what's so impressive about like their farm system to me is like, Usually, like when you're winning and you're like picking at the back of the draft, like like your drafts start to kind of they don't look as great. quite as good as when you're picking yeah. to the top. But like, I mean, like the truth is like they never really picked like super high in the draft recently, but they keep kind of hitting on these you know later, uh, you know, you know they, they don't have these top of the draft picks and they keep replenishing mm-hmm. the farm system and you know I yep. I, I think the They've been a top 10 in our org talent rankings going back to 2015. In 2014, they were still top half of baseball at at 14 overall. Yeah, no, I wrote up some of those uh, Dodgers top 30. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Bellinger and Seager and just uh, it's just incredible what they've Mm -hmm. done, like still picking later. And I think like the Padres just in general as, as an organization have shown like a really good you know, scouting depart domestically, internationally. Like I think the Dodgers are, are, are the same way. Like, so I think, you know, just you look at those two clubs, like I think those are kind of the two obvious picks. I think the, you know, going back to like the blue Jays, I think they're the other team. Like if I had to pick like an American league club, that's one where I'm like, you know, this is a club that's about to, you know, really take a step forward. I think they have that young core of a lineup. I think, you know, Bichette is going to, you know, get better. I think Vladdy Jr. is going to take, you know, I don't know if it comes this year or, or the year after when, but, you know, this wasn't that long ago. This kid, he was hitting like 400 as like a 19-year-old <laughs> in double A. Like, I think people are sleeping on him still a little bit. Like, he's, well, like the same age as Spencer Torkelson, right? Like, who we're like super, super excited about as yep. a – you know a probable first baseman right yeah like, has has vladdy suffered from a little prospect fatigue you think that that's a real thing i think yeah like some fatigue and like look like his performance too like and then i think like you know you, you compare him to like juan soto right and you compare him to fernando tatis jr these guys who were in his signing class mm-hmm. who were like coming up at the same time as him and are like like these guys are like aliens like <laughs> like it's 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 tough to like compare him to those guys. It's tough to compare anyone to like, those are like, you could argue like 
it's the two best well not the two best but like <laughs> you know mike trout is still alive right <laughs> but yeah. like but if you were like starting your franchise today you could argue you'd start with those players like moving ooh, forward that's a good question yeah <laughs> ooh, oh yeah uh ooh, with like bats and trout out there Damn. yeah that's a good question. I'm going to dodge that one. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's a, that's the smartest answer you could have given out. But, um, but before yeah, we get like, too you know, far away from the Dodgers, if you were going to guess what their earliest first-round draft pick has been since what year do you want to mark it at? Like 2008 maybe? Uh, what do you think is the earliest they've picked going back to 2008? 2008? I mean, in the last 10 years, I don't think they've had a single-digit pick. Oh, no, no. You have to go back to 2006 before you get a top 10 pick. They picked seventh in 2006. And after that, their earliest pick was, I believe, 15 in 2008. So you are absolutely right. They have not been picking at the like cream of the crop elite talent bucket at the top of the draft in any of these years. And they've wound up with Corey Seager in 2012, 18th. Walker Bueller, 2015, 24. He's Will right. Smith, 32nd in 2016. Um, yeah, just some really good picks. Clayton Kershaw was the number seven pick, by the way, in 2006. So it, it really just doesn't matter where the Dodgers pick. They're, they're finding talent. Yeah, it's uh, – and I, I think, like, the to me, like, the Blue Jays are this, like – like, this team where I think, like, you know, you see, like, the young core of their lineup is there. Like, they've got guys – coming up in the farm system like and they and they also have well, well now they're also like spending money they're bringing in george springer like they see this is like the window mm. is opening right now and they have you know there's a lot of prospects in their system who who i like who they probably should trade not because you know they're not good prospects because they can help bolster their their club that way through through trade soon not all of these guys have to be you know homegrown guys like it's you know awesome for your you know organization and your fans who've been following these guys since they were drafted or, or signed uh, internationally but like you know if you can trade these guys for you know impact talent that's that's a way to help your club too so I think they have like all of these attributes and all of these like components in place between their major league club and and their minor league club and and some willingness now to to spend on on some of these bigger free agents to, I think, be this, you know, be a competitive team for, you know, over the, at least, at least over the early part of the Mm. the 2020s. Yeah, no, I I can't argue with any of that. I mean, I feel like all these three teams that we're talking about are, would be towards the top of the list. Um, But yeah. Do you want to touch on any more MLB stuff? Do you want to talk about some college players this weekend? What's what else is on your mind, Ben? Those college players are definitely uh, on my mind. I mean, I saw your, you know, your reports on Kumar yeah. and quick plug. If you guys Jack want to know uh, some some opening weekend draft notes on pretty much all of the top top of the draft prospects that I was able to kind of bear down on that is on the site. Um, it'll be available whenever you hear this, it's there now. How but many yeah. guys did you write up? I just like kept scrolling and scrolling um, and scrolling like 25 or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, like I said, all I did was like watch college baseball. So if I'm just going to be able to watch, I guess our readers should at least be able to know what happened. You know, it seems only fair. 
Yeah, but uh, it seems yeah, a lot of definitely a lot of interest out there in Kumar Rocker and Jack Leiter. Yeah, those two, they're, they're two of the more, I think Kumar is probably one of the more famous college players we've had in recent years. Adley was pretty famous and he was much more of a locked in, like clear cut top tier number one player in the class than Kumar is. I really don't think Kumar is like the locked in number one that everyone is is talking about him as. I He has kind of been in that spot because he is the most deserving of it and most teams have him there. But I think I think most teams entered this year thinking that there were a handful of players that could challenge for that spot. And I'm really fascinated to see if anyone does kind of take over that number one spot. And we're picking nits on all these players when we go into like what they're doing now, because Kumar and Jack Leiter, and actually I should say that apparently um, Kumar wants to go by Kamar rocker instead of Kumar. I know I've been guilty of saying Kumar, but apparently Kamar is the appropriate pronunciation. So I need to make sure I try and remember that moving right. forward. But like they were both dominant in their first game. Both of them were up to 98 miles per hour. I think Kamar was more towards the top end of that velocity band, deeper into the game. But Lighter's fastball command, like in the upper 90s, was really special. He didn't walk a batter over five innings, struck out eight and was just dominant. I mean, he was dotting that pitch in all four quadrants of the zone. He showed three different secondaries, curveball, slider, changeup. I'm pretty sure he showed a changeup. He did. Um, and that's a pitch that he's shown pretty good polish with in the past. But, I mean, take your pick. Do you want the shorter right-hander who has pro, pro bloodlines and maybe better command, or do you want the big monster of a right-hander who probably has the – filthier secondary in his slider and also pumps upper 90s velocity but is maybe a little bit less precise in his command like which of those two intrigues you more ben uh yes <laughs> yeah right like this is and, and we haven't even talked about Jaden hill because it's, it's it's easier to talk about kumar and jack they're teammates you're gonna see them back to back with vanderbilt this whole year but like Jaden hill i think is solidly in this conversation too like he might have the best pure stuff in the class i mean all of these guys are so close together that i think that that's why this college season is so exciting and this this year's draft process is probably going to be the most fun from my perspective because there's so much uncertainty and because all of these appearances all these innings carry so much more weight for their draft stock because they have had less time to kind of build up and show who they are in the past that it's it's just going to have so many moving pieces and players moving up and down. Um, that is fascinating to me. And and Jaden really hasn't ever started. And and Jack Leiter started like three or four games last season. So the uncertainty for this class is more extreme than really ever for the scouting departments. And I know kind of getting some getting some more. Um, I guess certainty on the college class is a big priority for scouting departments this year. It's so weird to say, like, it sounds like an oxymoron, right? Yeah. Right. Like all of the teams definitely (laughs) feel more comfortable with the high school class because for the most part, there wasn't a ton of stuff on the West coast last year, but for the most part, the high school showcase circuit went as planned. So it's really just like, and you can't use as much of the analytics evaluation that you typically would for college players. Cause there's less they aren't uh, producing the data they don't have the data for they have less data for their actual college seasons 
and you don't have any of the summer wood bat data either, which is very important. So, I mean, guys like Nick Gonzalez, Nick Gonzalez and Carmen Majinski last year, who for Majinski really kind of elevated his profile and for Gonzalez kind of reaffirmed that his hit tool was legit outside of a very hitter friendly environment. Like you don't have that for any of the players in this year's class outside of like Colton Kowser and Doug Nikhazy, who were underclassmen on team USA. Like those are the two guys who actually had that. Um, so no, it's going to be fascinating and there's so much talent in this year's class. I'm just really excited to kind of keep seeing these guys perform. It's, it's awesome. But yeah, like I, I, I love Jack lighter, but like you said, you know, like we, we have history on him. Like obviously like he was a standout pitcher as an amateur, you know, just on talent. If he had gone in the first round out of high school, like, like that wouldn't have looked out of place. Yeah, I think, I think the only reason that he didn't go in the first round out of high school is because he priced himself out. Like he, he had a very big price tag and was pretty committed to going to Vanderbilt. I think if he wanted to sign for first round, like typical first round money, I think a team would have probably taken him. Yeah. Oh, and I think Kumar Rocker probably. Yeah, know, same probably deal. I think is. he was one of the higher, he was one of the highest rated high school players to make it to campus in a long time out of his draft year in 2018. So yeah, it's, um, yeah. And then they pulled in uh Christian little now with coming to yeah. campus early. So it's uh, yeah. Vanderbilt, man, but they don't have but, enough arms, need some arms. Yeah. But like with, I mean, with, with a lighter, like, like, yeah, like we have history on him, but like, all right, he's draft eligible this year because of his age mm. and, and the draft date until like, you know, just the other day, he had like 15 innings of college baseball yep. experience. So like 15.2 innings. And that was one thing looking at all of our first team preseason All-Americans comparing the group this year to the group a year prior. I think the average innings for the the previous group was like 120 or something. I might be overestimating it, but this year's group, on average, they'd each thrown like 50 collegiate innings. That's like nothing. Like, and Kumar was basically carrying that load. So, yeah, I think he's, like you said, he's like super, I'm obviously like, you know, was it a 20, was it a 20 strikeout game he had or was it 19? It was, I'll yeah, that, just that. Make sure we have the right number. Yeah, that, that huge game he had where like everybody Duke. was like, oh my God, like <laughs> this guy is like, he's yeah. just like, this I struck up 19 batters and a no hitter against Duke. That's yeah. what it was. Yeah. All right. So that, you know, doing that like on national television, like in, mm-hmm. you know, in that, in that setting on that stage, like, you know, like a name that sets him apart. Yeah. Like, his name is Kamar Rocker. He's six, five, 245 pounds. Like, <laughs> yeah. So like everybody's like, you know, hooking on to him and like, look, like, you know, like you said, like he belongs in this conversation mm-hmm. with the top guys, but like to me, I'd probably lean toward him right now over wider, just based on that like track record yep. that we have with him, which is just like no fault of Jack Leiter's like he just sure. doesn't. <laughs> but so like, but yeah, like if you ask, like I'm sure we will talk about this again more in you know uh, in April and leading up to the draft. Like I could very easily see you know flip flopping my answer on that. Yeah, and I'm sure there are going to be other players who are kind of more in this conversation as well, or at least there, there's the potential for more players to be involved in this conversation. Just depending yeah. On how well, you mentioned, uh, and you mentioned like Jaden Hill too. I, mean, I like, love I Jaden Hill. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's tough. Cause like, 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 like you just said, like, of, like comparing this year's college pitching, like the top of the college pitching that's available in the draft compared to last year's draft. Cause 
there wasn't much of a college season for last year's draft picks. And we're still going off mostly that for this year's guys. Like last year, the college pitching at the draft, I mean, we had some pretty good arms with like Asa Lacey and Max Meyer and, and Emerson, Emerson Hancock. Hancock. Yep. Yeah. So like, I think it was like three in the top six picks. I mean, pretty good. Yep, three in the top arms. six, and then Reed Demers and Garrett Crochet were right around 10, 11. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that guy that got to the big leagues. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Like, how does – like, do these guys, like, stack up with those guys, or is it hard to hard to um, say yet until we get, like, more, more information? In terms of, like, stuff, it's hard for me to say they don't stack up with that group. I think the biggest question is, like, how are these guys going to hold up over a full season and handle a starting role? Cause Jaden Hill, mm-hmm. like he was mostly a reliever in two very abbreviated seasons prior to this. Uh, this will be his first season starting full time uh, guys behind him, Richard Fitz, same deal. Like he's mostly pitch in relief. Uh, how is he going to hold up over a, over a full season and start? So I think guys like Asa Lacey, guys like Emerson Hancock, you felt pretty good about them in starting pitching roles. And I think maybe the one example you could point to as like uh, a source of optimism for these players is Max Meyer had similar questions entering 2020 and he didn't even get a full season to prove it in a starter's role. And he still went third after having pitched four weeks as a starter, whereas previously he was coming out in relief. So I think that teams can feel pretty confident in their ability to start relatively quickly at least 2020 gave us some evidence of that so I I feel pretty good about this starting pitching group I think teams are really excited about both the depth and the impact talent at the top and and we haven't even talked about the high school players like there are a ton of high school left-handed pitchers who are really exciting Um, but no I think this group stacks up it's definitely a better pitching class than 2019 which is a pretty low bar to clear and the and the two drafts after that have been pretty good for in terms of arms was uh was there anybody else in uh particular who who really jumped out for you this uh for opening weekend? Or? Um I mean Hill was good. Lighter was probably the most like wow impressive. Um I didn't jump get, in, you see like just because of a jump in his, his stuff. I just before. think and like he he's thrown ninety I think he touched ninety seven as a high schooler. He he sat in the lower nineties and he was mostly in the kind of lower to mid nineties as that outing progressed. But I think just in terms of like his command of that stuff, his ability to pitch backwards, uh, to keep hitters off balance. His curveball has pretty massive depth. Like I think Kumar's is more of that, like uh, the the pro breaking ball that teams really love, that hard slider. Um, whereas Lighters is kind of more of a depthy, like twelve to six curveball. I don't know if I think most teams probably prefer the slider now, just because that pitch gets more whiffs generally. But like just his advanced pitch ability combined with this stuff was impressive um i think another guy who was impressive i didn't get a chance to bear down on him as much but jordan wicks the left-handed pitcher out of kansas state uh he already threw seven innings which is the longest outing of all the college arms that we have in first round range right now struck out 10 walked two against oregon state in a pretty good pitching matchup with kevin abel uh so i think he's kind of a guy we've talked about a lot of dudes at the top who have really elite stuff i think he's more of that classic like polished college left-hander who's operating in the lower 90s but has a real weapon in his changeup. and like you might not think that profile is as sexy but it goes pretty well 
in the back of the first round or early after the first round. And I think you got to feel pretty good about his ability to handle a starter's workload and a, and a starter's role. Yeah. So that would be another one that I pointed to. You know who uh, you know who I liked following this uh, this this past weekend was Dylan Cruz. Yes, his swing is beautiful, isn't it? Twenty twenty three, two thousand twenty three. Mm-hmm. Like fresh. There's some like like I mean we knew it was going to happen because the draft was five rounds. But like there's some pretty exciting freshmen in college baseball this year, which like I don't well. I mean, look, it's uh, as long as they're playing baseball still, that's good and great for Teddy and Joe. They get to <laughs> watch these guys play, but like these guys should be in pro ball. Ugh. But hey, like, we, yeah. we have uh, a new minor league set up. No high school players straight to pro ball anymore. <laughs> College teams are going to do the development, Ben. That's how it's yeah. going to work now. Well, when I, yeah, when I, when I take over MLB, and <laughs> never, but we will be expanding the minor leagues <laughs> to, uh, Getting rid of the draft spending caps, like mm-hmm. let's get these guys in pro ball. Get yeah. let's get these guys to the big leagues faster, and you know, but you know, it's you know, it's great for it's great for college baseball. And it's it is. You if know, you're a college baseball fan, these are a few pretty exciting glory years you're, you're kind of walking and it, into. It kind of works out for us because, like, otherwise we wouldn't be watching Dylan Cruz and like mm-hmm. Victor Medeiros and Alejandro Rosario and all these guys right yeah, now, but. If- if you guys haven't seen Dylan Cruz's swing, you should definitely go look at it right now. You can find clips on Twitter or there's a, a video of his second home run that he hit this week- weekend linked. His swing is one of my favorite swings. He was like a very early like favorite for me in his draft class out of high school just because I, I just love the way the swing looks. I think he did not hit as well as maybe scouts wanted the right, right corner outfield profile high school hitter to hit. Uh, in his draft year, but it's to Louisiana State's benefit because he went seven for 12 with two homers, four walks, no strikeouts, and his second home run came off the bat at 111 miles per hour. Now, it's an aluminum bat. I don't know exactly how much, like, how much speed you should take off to, like, account for the fact that it's an aluminum bat, but, like, that is very loud. It was out to, like, that was the one that went to center field too, right? I think so. (laughs) I I think it hit it to left center. Yeah, I mean, either there was one he hit out to like to to center. I was just like, and that's like to me, like when I saw him, like that was when he was at his, like in high school, mm-hmm. just like he had that approach to like really drive the ball well to right center field, like you said with that like really, really calm, balanced, short, yeah, it's swing. just so quiet. There's no, there's no like pre pitch movements. Very simple. It's pretty direct. Like I, I'm not a hitting coach or like an expert at breaking down hitting mechanics by any means, but. He just doesn't have a lot going on. And when he's yeah. synced up and when he's not lunging at the ball, I feel like it's a really, really impressive swing. Yeah. I mean, we have him. I mean, he, he, we, he, <laughs> like, like we said, it's, it's a ways away from his, he's 2023 draft mm-hmm. eligible, but I think he's, he certainly got a chance to go, let's just say, very, very, very high. Yeah, it is, in, it, uh, like you were saying, it's, it's not very common for like, toolsy talents like him to get to campus it happens every year i mean we're just talking about kumar so it does happen but no i I think he's a pretty easy bet to to go go off the board pretty well in the future when he does yeah uh, because he just to like just to like refresh people too like he pulled himself out of the the draft last year right yep i think it was like a couple days before the draft yeah so like he probably knew like he wasn't gonna go 
what like first round or yeah in the range where he would have signed where it would have been worth it for him yeah he he had a pretty high, high price tag excuse me yeah and then but like the summer before it's you know it sucks right like he didn't get a spring to like you know prove himself again but like going into that summer like he was wasn't he well he was right up there with like Pete Crow Armstrong and yep Austin yeah, we had Hendrick him like and... solidly up in the top 10 I think he was number two on our very initial high school ranking right behind PCA I believe that's where he was um, but he was right up there with that outfield group that included Hendrick at the time PCA and I don't think Zach Veen at that time was at that level he was kind of a later pop-up that mm-hmm. very quickly jumped up um, but and Robert Hassel like that kind of outfield trio outside of Veen entering the showcase season, those were like the premium dudes. So, yeah. So this is like, like he, he clearly was in that category of, mm-hmm. of players. All four of those guys went in the first round. We have three of them, uh, or I think three of them uh, in our top 100 right now. I think mm. Pete Crow's like top 100 adjacent. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I think he's going to jump into there pretty soon. So like, you know, I like you know, like if, if Dylan Cruz had signed, we would not have put him in our top one hundred. But like mm-hmm. that's the kind of like <laughs> if if he goes out and keeps hitting well, he's not gonna hit, you know, six hundred <laughs> or whatever, but like um, you know, if if he goes out and I mean, I think a pretty strong freshman of the year candidate, like that's mm-hmm. the kind of talent level that I think he could be he could be on on par with right now. Yeah, one other guy I wanna just mention really quick is um Alabama's left-hander Connor Prelip. He has started five games and thrown, I think, 26 innings or so. Yeah, 26 college innings. He has not allowed a run. He's faced 92 batters and he struck out 43 of them, which comes out to 46.7% of the batters that he's faced. He's struck out, which is decent. <laughs> it's pretty good. So I'm I'm looking forward to seeing him in person. Um but he's been pretty dominant. So if you if you are just a draft hound and you like to get ahead on draft classes, like I mean, if you're that person, you already know who this is. But just bank Connor Prelip's name in your mind and kind of come back to us next year. He's going to be a, a guy you're going to want to watch out for. He's for 2022 draft, right? Yes. Yep. So, but yeah, those are probably the biggest ones that I would want to touch on. I know we've been rambling in your ears for a while now. So if you guys have stuck with us for the entire podcast, we really appreciate it. Um, I guess again, I'll again ask Ben, is there anything else you want to touch on? I don't know how much longer you want to do this thing on our inaugural podcast, but it's been fun so far. Well, Julio Rodriguez has been uh, in the news. No, <laughs> not you touch uh, on. You want to touch on the Mariners stuff, huh? Yeah. Well, like <laughs> that's been pretty wild. <laughs> yeah. Like, that guy, Kevin, like, like if, if, if you're a, if your job, like, especially like a major league team, but like any large company, like if you're a CEO or like a team president, just going to let like, you go off here. Just like the, like so much of your job is like, you're not like in like the nitty gritty, like day to day, like, like that kind of stuff. Like so much of like what you're, getting paid for and getting paid a lot for is is just like having good judgment and making good decisions and like over the course of that like 40 45 minute 
interview. Like he just made so many bad decisions and just showed such terrible judgment that it's like, how can this guy be in charge of your organization? Like if you're like another organization, like, like put away like the stuff for a second of just like this stuff. He was like, you know, offended a lot of people like, like, <laughs> you could, like if you're like the Rangers and you're like, we want to bring in like a new team president, like never hire that guy just based on like, just like what terrible judgment this, this guy has with just like so many jackass comments. Yeah. He was making, like, <laughs> he just like went through like the whole organization and managed to like <laughs> run, run everybody down. Like, I don't want to pay what, like, you're really complaining. 5,000 like, for an interpreter. I think it was like, yeah, that was like, I was like, like what? <laughs> like, like, well, like, what does that come out to you with like benefits and trend, like a hundred grant for like one of your star players yeah. to, to have like, like, so, so he can do like interviews, like in his own language. Like, like what, what are you complaining yes. about this? Like nickel and dime well, that's really, or, it seemed like what it was, just like talking about where they saved money or could save money in the future more than anything. It was unbelievable. Yeah, like he, like, <laughs> it was just, like, just some of like the worst, like, just like, can you imagine if like team presidents, like, like those guys and like, or like owners had to talk to the media every day or like near every day, <laughs> the way like players do, like. Yeah, like, well, I think what's key here is, you got a pretty honest look when, when they're talking to the media, they, they put on their PR hats and they kind of know what, what they're going into. I think that is the biggest reason why the MLBPA is probably the, the one group celebrating right now. Right. Yeah. Well, that's why, and that's why MLB probably like, I don't even like, you know, I'm, I think like the main thing MLB really didn't like was like, not what they said about like Iwakuma or calling Julio Rodriguez's English like not tremendous, which like, who, like, who by a... the way is hosting like an interview segment that the team is promoting on YouTube. Yeah, he's pretty like, good at it. Yeah, I can talk and like rave about him in like a moment, but like I think MLB really cares about like the labor stuff. Like hundred percent more, more so they, than that. The the statement released very quickly tried to like distance the team from like what he was talking about in terms of like suppressing players in the minors yeah in terms of like the, like, oh yeah the, the the statements made don't represent uh, our organization from the president of our organization <laughs> like okay oh it has but not yeah. been a great off season in terms of people in charge of big league clubs making good judgment decisions i would say yeah i think that's uh <laughs> fair but like yeah the thing about julio rodriguez and like I, like, look, like I try to like, you know, cut people some slack and like, you know, look, we're recording this podcast. We've been on for like two hours and if we do it enough, I'm sure I'll say something like stupid or like misspeak at, at some point, but like. We probably already have been. Yeah. Like, you know, try to <laughs> cut people some slack. And be yeah. Like, oh, all right. Like, you know, <laughs> but like, you know, <laughs> you just look at like the totality of everything he said yeah. throughout there. It's, it's hard to. Oof, hard to yeah it's hard, hard to, to do that in that yeah. situation but like 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 on Julio Rodriguez specifically like he's like like he like I've been on TV I've done interviews English is my first language and he's 
he's better on TV and he's more charismatic than I am in his second language mm -hmm. than I am in my first. Like, I'm not trying to be like, like cute about it. Like he really is. Like there's yep. a reason he's this, like he hasn't played a game in like double a yet. And he's already like a fan favorite in Seattle. Like if he, if he's as good or even like close to as good of a player as, as we think he is, like he's going to have one of the best selling jerseys in baseball. Like he's going to be a, like a league wide fan favorite. He's just this like happy go lucky, like super charismatic. I was going to say kid. I've known him since he was like 15, 16 years old, but I guess now he's like 20 now, but like he, he just like wants to be everybody's like best friend. You can see him on like social media. He's like, super smart and savvy as you can see from his uh his meme game like <laughs> photoshop skills yeah yeah with the with the jordan uh coming after <laughs> him was uh that was great but like yeah like for his his ability to like like if you like literally if you had to like point to like like any player like who like has picked up english like super super fast mm -hmm. like i he's like the guy i would point to like like, yeah, it's it's incredible and he like didn't even spend his first season in the united states because the mariners just like team philosophy thing like keep all their players in the dsl their first year so it's like this guy is like crazy smart and like talented and like it's such a weird answer to give like the question was just like literally like the guy was like so like what can you tell what us you, about julio rodriguez about and it's like what, what he's what charismatic we, and he doesn't speak english very well like 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 okay. like what was he like it's sort of a weird thing to like yeah. bring up but it's also just like wrong and like the complete <laughs> wrong guy like he's just like he like like i said like he does interviews in english in his second language like and he like he's better on camera doing it than i am in my first language he's just like one of the most impressive like like obviously like super talented player, but he's like one of the most impressive people I've come across at, at, uh, especially at that age. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well said, Ben, that was very weird to watch unfold. Um, yeah, I, I don't really know what to say. I think you encapsulated pretty much all of it there. So yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Sorry, Mariners fans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. Or congrats on, uh, yeah. getting, getting... <laughs> Getting rid of uh getting rid of that guy. But yeah. it's uh no, we got uh it's we got a lot of baseball back, which is which is good. Uh but like travel right now is definitely tricky for not just like us, but like mm -hmm. I think just a lot of clubs trying to see players both like domestically for you know, for for amateur players and I think internationally too mm -hmm. like it's just very it's very different than like a typical february or march yeah no doubt i mean i've heard from a lot of scouts who there's one there are restrictions still from mlb on how many members of one club can be at an event and then they also have to deal with restrictions that specific conferences or individual colleges have like some colleges have put in restrictions where less than 30 scouts overall can be at the game so like how teams decide which scouts are able to come to a game and like how long those restrictions are in place it's going to be really interesting to see not interesting it's kind of a bummer 
that that they kind of have to jump through these hoops to do their jobs after like not being able to go anywhere last year. So it's a lot of hectic scheduling and coordination for scouting departments at this time. Um, but they've had to jump through a lot of hoops the past 12 months. Yeah, really we're coming up on a year anniversary of, of COVID here. So really the past year scouts have had, a really tough time just getting out to do their job and to do what they love to watch players. So I'm really hopeful that at some point soon, like it's back to business as usual, but yeah, it's, it's a difficult time now. They like, like as teams like spread out and try to like cover the kind like usually like if you're a scouting director or cross checker, like mm-hmm. you're flying around, right? Like going in and yep trying to see as many guys as you can is it more our team like our clubs doing more like regional coverage just like trying to see guys in your area or i think so i think for a lot of the clubs are handling it differently some some clubs no one's flying some clubs like the cross checkers and the director they can get on planes Uh, but for most of the area guys and i would guess the regional cross checkers most of them it's just kind of like they're driving to what they can drive to um i would imagine this year that well really the past few years the it's it's a weird dynamic because prep lists could be smaller now that the draft is shorter but at the same time with the uncertainty of all of your reports on all these players and with like the inflated depth that you have coming coming back from an already deep 2020 class that just the the depth is artificial in the sense that like only five rounds were done so a lot more players would have been in pro ball if we had a normal draft year of an already strong class being added to this one so no one well I say there could be shorter prep lists because it's a shorter draft but no one is going to feel really great about the information that they have on all their players because of the lack of evaluations that they've had in this class relative to a normal year so I'm sure every area scout in the country is going to really feel the need to scramble around and see everyone uh, and when you have all these restrictions to deal with, you're probably going to uh, supplement that coverage with more vi- video, with synergy video, um, with any of that kind of video that you can use to supplement your in-person coverage. Um, and that's not even talking about some of the scouts who maybe don't feel as great traveling uh, because this the pandemic is still here. I mean, for as much as things are getting better and vaccines are rolling out and you can actually go to games now. Uh, it's still here. So it's still something that these guys have to to deal with. So it's definitely a challenge, I would say. Yeah, it seems like, yeah, that's a good point. I didn't, you know, like you said, it's you probably like want to avoid as much like, you know, higher risk travel as you mm-hmm. can. But like, there's just so many more players that you need to uh, yep. check in on. Cause you yep. just don't have as much <laughs> certainty or, or looks or information on those guys that, that you usually would have, you know, from the previous spring and summer and then maybe mm-hmm. fall too. hundred percent. Yep. It is yeah. a very, very unique situation. They're kind of dealing with this year, but yeah, like internationally, like, well, they had like a scouting MLB had like a scouting ban in place for a while from like march like when the pandemic hit through like the end of september like you couldn't even like see players in person or or get like on an airplane to uh go see guys so like some like some of it's 
you know, that's, that's not in place anymore. There's still like restrictions on like who you can like bring into your academy and uh, like in the Dominican Republic, that kind of stuff. But like, yeah, so like some guys are, I know some guys are traveling, like got, like it's easy. Like, you know, if you're in the Dominican Republic, it's easier. Like you just drive wherever you need to drive. Like you, you make sure you're wearing a mask and, mm-hmm. you know, try to be safe. Like a lot of, a lot of clubs are telling me they're like, yeah, like we're trying to like avoid these like, bigger showcases where like every team can go there. Cause that's like a huge crowd. It's harder to mm-hmm. distance and like space yourself out. Whereas like, you know, if we're, you know, the Red Sox and we want to like work out a player or like, or like a group of players and it's like just us there, like we can, you know, handle that a little bit more, more comfortably. But uh, yeah, it's just like different. Like, like I talked to like a bunch of different scouts in the past couple of days and like some of them, like literally one of them was like, yeah, like it felt like totally comfortable. Like, you know, people were, you know, being pretty careful and, you know, I, I, I felt like really, uh, you know, fine with it. And like another one was like, Oh, it was like horrible. Like, <laughs> like people were not, you know, paying, you know, close enough attention to, you know, the, the proper precautions. So uh, I guess it kind of, <laughs> you kind of see that throughout our, our country uh, anyway, as far as people's reactions to it, but like, yep. um I think, yeah, I mean, some, some of it's like, you know, health and safety related reasons where people are not traveling as much. And some of it's also just like budgetary reasons too, like COVID hit teams finances really hard this, this past year. And I, you know, some teams are still operating with like, you know, a lower budget or more restrictions on like how often they're, you know, or when they're able to, uh, to travel to, to see players there's you know i'm getting like a whole bunch of flyers now on like you know showcase here in like you know colombia and mexico and like a whole bunch of them in colombia because that's where the venezuelan players are you know going nowadays to have their their big showcases because very few american scouts will go into uh venezuela to to see players in person right now or yeah. you know even before the pandemic so like those guys are definitely itching to have scouts come out and see players. And, uh, but yeah, it's definitely like a, a weird time for clubs trying to like plan their, their travel. There's also like a rule too, or like if you're coming back into the States now from like the Dominican Republic, I, like I haven't been through it myself cause I haven't traveled then, but like the, like you have to have like a negative COVID test, before they'll like let you back in mm-hmm. so like it, that like that i know like <laughs> somebody like missed their flight over it like just like creates another hassle one guy actually said he was going down he was going to get up like i think you need it within like a few days like a mm-hmm. negative covid test within like a few days so he's like yeah like i'm gonna go down he's like i'm gonna get my covid test here like in the states fly down for like a day or two and then come back using like <laughs> <laughs> like that negative COVID test. I was like, before you, that works. I was like, that works. He's like, yeah. He's like, you just need it within like a certain day. I was like, all What's right. I guess, yeah. Like, <laughs> Oh man. Real, real great. Uh, oh, man. <laughs> well, but yeah, it just like, it just creates like all these, like, like you said, like domestically too, like all of these mm-hmm. different like puzzles and like just, obstacles that uh everybody's trying to deal with just to just to see the players yeah absolutely uh well on that note ben uh is there anything you want to plug uh what do you got going on 
moving forward, whether that's travel, whether that's stuff on the site, whether that's where people can find you on social media. This is your plug section. What are you plugging? What's going on with you? I just want to, I want to plug our podcast. If you, uh, <laughs> yeah, if you liked it, if you made it, uh, this far, we, we appreciate you. Leave us a, a review wherever you're, uh, reviewing it. Make sure it's five stars. Of course. We don't want to. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you guys could, th- that is really helpful. I know every single podcast that you've ever listened to, um, and there, there aren't very many baseball podcasts out there. So maybe you haven't heard this, but the reviews and the ratings really do help, especially when we're kind of getting this feed off the ground and, and kind of th- this conversation that we had tonight is, is probably what you can expect. It's kind of longer rambling, just conversations about baseball, just kind of across the game. Um, we might have some guests on in the future, whether that's BA staffers, whether that's players, coaches, scouts. I think a lot of that stuff would be really fun. And I think uh, I'm also down to, to take some questions from the listeners too. So definitely, um, if you guys want to send those to us, I'm at Carlos A. Colazzo on Twitter. Ben is at, uh, what are you, Ben? Just Ben Badler, right? Ben Badler. Yeah, you didn't even have to throw the middle initial in there. Nice. Yeah, um, I'm, uh, it's a good thing, in the, or maybe bad, depending on what happens to you in, the, uh, in this era to have a kind of a unique name. <laughs> no, I think it's a good thing, especially on social media. So, yes, yeah, so you can send us questions there, follow us there. If you guys have any thoughts on the podcast, any requests, let us know. Uh, it is very much a work in progress um, and we're just getting started out, but I'm excited for it. Looking forward to the next one, Ben. Um, but thank you guys for listening. And for Ben, I'm Carlos. We'll see you next time. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.